Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole from Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Andy Cole, the scorer. The combination between Cole and York was out of this world. It's Andy Cole. Welcome to another episode of the United Podcast. We are very excited because right now, Helen and I are actually together in person. Unfortunately, Maisie's not. We've got him over Zoom, but this is the closest we've been to all reuniting since, what, March? March. Norman Whiteside, I believe. Was yeah, it was, wasn't it? We were all together. It was. Special moment, but Maisie, it's not the same without you. I know, yeah. No. I know you're missing me. I know. I miss your scent. <laughs> My what? <laughs> I went with scent. All right. Your word. Yeah, I thought it would be funny. <laughs> Sam's still got a broken arm, Maisie. Yeah. Broken, that broken arm. <laughs> I got another one, it's fine. What, another broken arm? Yeah, we're here. So Helen and I are together. We're at Old Trafford because we uh, have just done a, an episode of the podcast that Maisie couldn't come to today. So that's coming in the future. Um, but you two did an episode that I couldn't join in. We did. Bit of a trend here, isn't there, guys? Yeah. Seems to be I'm the only one available recently. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah well, there are business. challenges in the world right now, aren't there? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Sam, you were sorely missed. We did have a little chat with Andy Cole, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Maisie, I'm sure you did yeah, too. Yeah, I loved it. Different class. I mean, obviously, I've known Colin now for, I don't know, 15, 16 years now, and it's been absolutely brilliant. It's been a pleasure knowing him. He's um, mm-hmm. longer than that. 25 years probably wow and he's and he's um he's never changed he's always been ex- the same demeanor um obviously now because of his um he's sat back with his illness a little bit obviously that's probably changed his perspective on life but he's such a great lad he is mm-hmm. and and a lot of people who don't know him would look at him or listen to him think he's a little bit arrogant but he's far far from that he is a top top lad sorry i just missed out the last word what did you say you just lad. finished at the top Lad. Oh, sorry. Top, top lad. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's one I'm gutted to miss out on because you, you think of the success in sort of the, the great Sir Alex Ferguson teams and Andy Cole was there. He's just scoring for fun well, all the, fact the time. Well, we're actually sitting in Old Trafford and there's two pictures in front of us. One is Andy Cole and Dwight York and the other is David Beckham. Yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. He's an absolute legend. When I was growing up, my mm-hmm. brother was... A fanatical Andy Cole and well and Dwight York fan and the, and the rest, but yeah, for our age group. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Maisie. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> but being at school, everybody, yeah. it was just such a household name, Andy mm-hmm. Cole. And even if you weren't into football, all the kids in school pretended to be Andy Cole in football. Might have been the first the football chant I ever knew. Andy Andy Cole gets the ball, scores a goal. Andy Andy Cole, catchy one. Yeah, it's really easy, isn't it? So yeah. I think as a kid, that's probably the first one I knew. Yeah, I would agree with that probably too. Phenomenal goal scorer as well. 186 Premier League goals. No penalties, no free kicks. Oh, I think one penalty you mentioned, but absolutely top draw player. Top draw player. Well, should we listen to it then? This is Andy Cole sitting down with Maisie and Helen. Andy Cole, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. How are you? 
Yeah, not too bad. How have things been for you over the last couple of, well, about six months it's been now? Uh, uh, ups and downs. Good times, bad times. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think ultimately it's just trying to get your head around it. Yeah. How are you, Maisie? All good. Back from the uh, golfing trip. Yeah, eight days in Scotland. If you didn't so. know, Andy Maisie actually plays golf. <laughs> <laughs> Only a little bit. Coley, do you still play golf? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting back into it now. So it's good exercise. I'm going to walk on that, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, do you listen to podcasts? Do I? So-so. Uh, the, the individual's got to bring someone out of me to mm. listen to them. Have you listened to ours then? <laughs> no. Little bits, little bits. Oh, yeah, cool, right? Oh, good. He <laughs> has to say that. Yeah, no. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Little bits. Well, you're a busy man at the moment because I've been hearing you on TalkSport. You were on Sky last night, keeping yourself busy with all the media. Are you enjoying that side of things? You know what, H, I've, I've got to be honest, I, I am. But for me, I mean, I, I have to keep myself busy. Mm-hmm. But we're still in lockdown, to be honest, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, being being locked up indoors for like 14 weeks was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really hard. But on the flip side of that, I think it gave me the chance to actually reflect on a lot of things, look back, which I've never done. Uh, reflect on trying to go forward and now and whatever. So, yeah, I just said to myself, you can do something that keeps you active, keeps your mind going. I think things could be a little bit easier. Because lockdown was obviously difficult for everybody, really. But for you, you were very much shielding because of your condition. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So how did you how did you actually survive with that? In terms of were you able to go and get food in the shops, or were people bringing food to you? What 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 was the setup for you? Um, well, I, you know, everyone keeps asking me how I how I got through, and I'll, I'll be brutally honest. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't lie. Um, it was tough. My, yeah, my mates or my nephew used to come round, leave some food at um, the front door, knock the door and then run off. It, it, it was kind of like that, you know. But um, I, I think we, we, we all had to go through that process, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't allow that. Looking, looking back now, yeah, it was... Yeah, of course it's tough. Of course it's tough. I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I've had a fantastic time. 14 weeks on your jacks is, is tough. Mm-hmm. really really tough how did you pass your time Colin? how did I um, you know what I'd end up doing in, in first thing in the morning I'd have a workout we did a Joe Wicks workout no TV mm-hmm. no. I didn't turn the TV on until like 5, 6 o'clock so I work out um, tidy up do whatever I've got to do cook Wh- whatever was going to keep me going until like I said oh I'm a little bit bored radio yeah. all those kind of things and turn the TV on about 5, 6 o'clock I was sick of hearing about oh, COVID nineteen. COVID. And by the time you look around, it gets into your head, and you start saying, "Oh my god!" You know. So I, I, I didn't have the TV on or anything. Does that discipline? Are we always like that as a person? Because that's quite a difficult thing to do when you're on your own, not turn the TV on. You know, just to have a voice in the background. I know you mentioned that you put the radio on, but do you think that discipline comes from football, or were you always like that as a person? I, I think it could be a bit of both, but then. Not having the TV on, like I said before, and it, it gave me a lot of time to just reflect, sit down and actually think about, oh, I played football for 20 odd years, well, I did all right in the end. You know, because I've never ever sat down and thought about my career, what I achieved or playing in the teams that I played in, my teammates or anything. So for me, that was an opportunity to actually sit down and say, oh my God, 
you know, looking back at what you actually achieved, you played with some great players, you know, what you grew up as a kid to do to maybe be the best you could do and try and win a little bit of silverware up. I genuinely do believe I've surpassed everything that I believe I could ever have dreamt of. So those 14 weeks that I said was reflection time on football, life, my illness, and like I said, trying to move forward as well. Cole, you say you, you won a little bit of silverware. 40 weeks is probably not enough to reflect on <laughs> yes. how much you actually won. Like, <laughs> I don't think there's anything out there. Maybe the World Cup would be like the only one that trophy that you've missed out on. <laughs> you've won every yeah. domestic cup, European cup. Look, to, to win everything in, in the domestic games is a special honour. You know, I, some, I was with Talk Sport the other day and they even reminded me that I won the Golden Boot in, in 94. And things like that, I, I totally forgot about. I, I won the championship with Newcastle as well. And, I totally forgot about things like that as well. So people have to constantly remind me what I've done because I'm, I don't, I'll never remind myself. I, I've got no time to worry about, oh, yeah, I did this. And, that. and that's why my mates get a bit upset with me because they always tell me that you never, ever talk about what you achieved or how you've gone about it. It's like, oh, just get on with it. And they hate when I say, oh, just get on with it because they keep saying, you've you got to celebrate yourself. But I, I think you know me well enough, mate, that, not the kind of guy who's going to celebrate himself, you know. I just get on, get on with it, and move on to the next project. Do you ever look back at your videos or anything like that? No. DVDs or no. no, no. What about your son? Has he never wanted to look back at those kind of things with you and go, Dad, show me that? Um, I, with, with my son, he, he never really mentions it to be fair. I, I think it's difficult when you've got your sons who want to follow in your footsteps, you know, to try and get to your level. You know, people always expect him to get to your level as yeah. well. So I, I, I don't know if he's a little bit intimidated by it or whatever, but he, he never really looks to try and watch my videos. or we'll, we'll have a chat about football or whatever, maybe, but I'm not not pushy dad. You know, I, I, I've never been that kind of guy. Where, where is he now um, at the minute? Where is he playing? He, he's just gone back to a mother world, so hopefully uh, he works out really well for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's good. Well, I know you... You said you don't like to reflect, but we are going to reflect, unfortunately, for the next <laughs> while for you. And um, we're going to take it right back to your childhood. Grew up in Nottingham. What was your childhood like? For me, I, I keep saying, you know, it, it was really good. Really good. What, what I can remember, because I was like, explaining to someone the other day, I, I only really grew up with my parents, what I can remember for like seven years, you know, because I left home when I was 14. So you don't really remember anything from like that until you get to about six, seven, you know. So I left home at four and about six sisters, one brother. I mean, I've got five, yeah, five, six sisters older than me. Very, very loving. I've always grew up around love, obviously, with loads of women in the house, you know. As, as a man, I end up not doing anything, to be brutally honest. So I, I was, I was, I was always just looked, looked after. after. Yeah, <laughs> always well looked after. So, yeah, for me personally, it was cool. I mean, growing up in a Caribbean household, yeah, it was cool. My, my dad was, um, he worked very hard. You know, he was a minor. Yeah, he used to discipline me all the time because I was a little bit naughty when I was younger. You know, but it, it, it was what it was. It's what it was. So six older sisters, did you say? No, I've got uh, five older sisters, one younger. And a brother? Yeah. And where does he come in the pecking order? Uh, my brother is, so to the... Third oldest. That's a busy household. What I can remember when he was younger, oh yeah, 100%. But 
But you see, when you're younger, I think when you've got a busy household, you know, everyone gets something, everyone mucks in and, you know, it's... Yeah. For me, it was a massive, massive comfort, but I can remember, you know, being around all my sisters and my brother, obviously my mum and dad and whatever, maybe, you know, my grandparents were alive then as well. So, yeah, it, it, it was good. Was your dad ever an influence on, you, on your football, Coley? My dad? Nah, nah, mate. No? Nah, my, 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 my dad. You know, I, I look at it now and I understand my dad, you know, um... My dad's a big cricket man, obviously, coming from Jamaica, and he always wanted to play cricket, and I could play cricket, no problem. I could play cricket with my eyes closed. But I, I always wanted to play football. And I remember my dad used to say to me, no, no, you can't play football. <laughs> I said, yeah, no, what do you mean, Dad? said, no, no, no. You know, obviously, what he went through when he came to the country and that, yeah. I said, no, no, no. You can't play football, they don't allow you basically to play football. So I said, no, no, Dad, things have changed. He said, no, 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 no. But then I, I understand it now, mm-hmm. what he was basically saying to me. Yeah, you know, but my passion was football. I said, even if I could play cricket, my passion was always football. That must have been quite difficult for your dad uh, working in the mining. Did he ever come home and mention things that were difficult for him at that time? You know, from what I can remember, yeah, and I think that's what I get it from. Whatever issues my dad ever had or went through, never said a word. Never came through the front door, yeah. Never, yeah, never ever said a word. I think the only time my dad ever opened up to me about anything is like, we went on a holiday to Jamaica, just me and him. So it's a kind of like a bonding kind of holiday, you know. And he opened up about a few things and I turned around and said to myself, man, I, I know I couldn't do that. Mm. I, I could never do it. But that's why I've got so much respect for him because I know what, exactly what he's done. Mm-hmm. Just trying to protect you. Yeah. Who were your heroes then? Where did the love of football come from? I don't know. It's up to my mum. My mum always used to say to me, football, loved it. Used to fall asleep my football first thing as I got up, wanted to play football. I used to play with my brother as well. He was a few years older than me. I used to play football with him. But like, like I said, I, I think it's for any kid who's born in England, if you're decent at football, you want to play football. Mm. It's, it's as simple as that. And I, I don't think I was any different to anybody else. Was you the best at school? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was the best by far. Was you always the centre forward? I, I'm going to be honest with you, yeah. My school team was so bad. You know when your school team is so bad, yeah? You try and play in every position. <laughs> Maybe it's because you were so good, they just seemed bad. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those ones. And then you, you end up playing like, oh, no, I used to play two years up, yeah? And even yeah. the boys two years up were absolutely shocking. It, it, was, it, was one, it was one of those ones. Maybe they should have stuck to cricket or something else. Did you actually yeah. play cricket at school as well? Or was yeah, it just yeah, football? yeah. I, I, I played cricket and that... Um, I mean, this is what I did with cricket. Yeah, I, I had, um, like, for your county. So I went through all the county trials and everything. I mean, like, it was after keeping my dad happy as well. I went through all the county trials, done that, got in the county team and turned around and said to him, I don't want to play. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how talented I was at cricket. I, said, I don't want to play now. I proved that I can do it, so I'm not fast. Who would have been better, you or Phil? I don't know, because I, I know Phil was a decent cricketer. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It would be interesting because I'm, I'm not sure what Phil's strengths were. I don't know if he could bat and bowl or whatever. We could never get him out in the gym. Could you not? No. Well, no. to be fair, he's just. What was you, Colin? Was you like an all rounder or was you a yeah. batter or bowler? Yeah. yeah, I could do it both. Yeah. Maisie, were you ever into cricket? I played cricket for school, like, but that, that was about it. There wasn't mm-hmm. any any allegiance going for for what Colin did or what what Nev did. Mm-hmm. Just play for my school, and that was it. Just to get out of lessons, to be fair, because yeah. we always used to have like the last couple of lessons off, leave at dinner time, and be able to go to any cricket matches. So, but I enjoyed cricket. I did. 
But I wasn't, I don't know, obviously as good as Coley or Arthur. Yeah. So who was your footballing hero? Did you have one when you were younger? Joe Regis. Joe Regis has always been my footballing hero. I mean, just the way he conducted himself on the football pitch, away from the football pitch. I'm not an individual who actually trips over himself when I see people. You know, but I remember the first time I met him, I was actually tripping over myself, making a fool of, of myself, <laughs> which um, doesn't, doesn't come into me. When did you first meet him? I, I met him the first time uh, at West Brom. I, was watching, I went there to watch a game and he, he walked into the lounge and like I said, I was like, oh my God. How old was you then? I was actually playing Maisie. <laughs> that, that's the craziest yeah. thing. I was actually playing. And I'm tripping over myself. And then I, obviously he's um, Jason, Jason Roberts' yeah. uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jason loved me as his favourite player. And that's, that's how twisted it kind of like got. It's like, I, I love Cyril. Jason loved me as his favourite player. And he's like, oh my God. You know, but yeah, Cyril was a, was a real, real special guy. What was it about him? The way he played football, the way he, he took on all his challenges, mm-hmm. you know, very, very dignified and respectful considering what he went to. Mm-hmm. And I, I always said to myself, you know, if, if I could ever have handled myself in, in that manner, yeah, that would, for me personally, that would be class. But I knew I, I didn't have that in me. I know I, I couldn't handle myself like that because if summer, I've, I always know if summer ever went off, I, I've got to get involved in it. Yeah. I have to get involved in it. So I, I, that's why I respect him so much. Mm-hmm. Everybody has different temperaments though, don't they? Yeah, for sure. So tell us about leaving school, joining Arsenal. How did that all come about? I, I went to Lily Show for two years and I, I learned, obviously that, that was kind of like based to be preparing you to be an apprentice. And when I was at Lily Show, I, I think with the older boys and that, you learn how to be even naughtier and learn a little bit of football, but just to be a little bit naughtier, a little bit cute and what you're going to try and do. So looking at that is like, the first six months were tough and then after that is like, you end up doing what you're doing. So I left there and I signed for Arsenal when I was a schoolboy at 14. And I remember that article in the Times, the Times magazine, it said like, yeah, great talent. Blah blah blah. If he doesn't self-destruct, you know, you, you never know what <laughs> he'd possibly move on to go on in the game and achieve loads of different things. But at any at any time I know I could like press the self-destruct button. I was never really fussed about it. Where did that come from, Carly? <laughs> I don't know. I'm amazed you. You played me long enough, Carly. You, you, you're horizontal now. It's a full, full circle. Exactly, exactly. But you you know what I like when I was playing, you know. Every now and then, the mist would come down on yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I've, I've always had the hearing me. They would always say to me, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, you'll end up in one place and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was always like galvanised by those people who used to like, say, oh, I mean, give them a couple of years to be out of the game or whatever. So yeah, so when I signed for us, I, I was kind of like looking forward to it. Because then there's a lot of young players in the team. Tony Adams, Paul Merson, all those kind of guys. And even if I was like only 14, I was thinking, oh man, in the next few years, hopefully that would be me. So I remember joining when I was 16 and really, really looking forward to the challenge of um, getting into the first team there. But then I realised after about, I don't know, six, eight months, I had to take the mick. You know, and I, 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 yeah, I, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. So I had to let a few people know early doors. So what they were doing, like the boys that took from Scotland, Ireland and all that, they were all turning pro at 17. And basically, I, I signed a two-year scholar 
and then turn pro at 18. So I kicked off straight away and said, no, 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 no. I'm not having it. I'm not having this. I even turn pro at 17 and that's me done. So they basically said to me, all right, Cody, Cody, what we do now? You turn pro at 18. I no, I'm not having it. Yeah. So um, I had a few little altercations there when I was younger and I was training one day and uh, Pat Rice just kept getting on my case. I said, you know, I'm done. I think I got the ball, grabbed it, smashed it up in the air. I said, I'm, and that's me done. And just walked off. Got showered, and it was David O'Leary. Obviously, he was a pro then, and he, he had finished. And he said to me, why are you finished, Coley? So I said, oh, mate, I've, I've had enough. I'm just, I'm just going to no, let me home early. He says, all right, then I'll, I'll give you a lift. So Paddy gave me a lift to the, um, the tube station. <laughs> Got in a tube, and I, like I said, I brought my sister from my 16. Packed my bag and said to my sister, right, that's me done. So my sister said, what are you doing? She says, no, nah, I can't do this, man. I can't have people talk to me like that. So my sister and my brother-in-law had to sit me down and like talk to me. My brother-in-law was kind of like half losing the plot with me, saying, no, nah, you can't do this, you can't do this, man. What are you going to do? I said, I, I just, I'm just going to be out there, you know, doing what I need to do. She no, nah, you can't do it. So basically it was him and my, him and my sister, my brother-in-law and my sister taught me out of jacking in when I was like seven, yeah, about 17. I was done. It wasn't really fast at that, I can't have it. Wow. wow. We're very thankful to them. <laughs> All Man United fans are very thankful. Yeah. What did you think that you were actually going to do, though? Did you think this through? Not bothered. I wasn't bothered. I, I wasn't out. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I look back, like I said, reflecting a lot of things I've done when I was young. I told someone, oh, my God, what are you like, by the way? I apologise so much. But when I'm in it, it's like, I don't care. Mm. And that's what I was like when I was at Arsenal when I was young. I was like, I'm not fussed. I kept saying to him, look, if, if, you, if you told me the truth, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, if you told me the truth, I'm, I'm cool with it. But don't keep lying to me. Because ultimately, it would come out in the end and then when it comes out, I lose a plot and everyone starts saying, oh, he's a problem and X, Y, Z. But it just kept lying to me. So that's what happened. So when you eventually did decide that you were going to continue, what happened then? Uh, did you come back in the next day? No, no, no. No. I'm, I'm, I think I had... I might talk about a week off, yeah, four or five days a week. And then my mum, my mum, like, she spoke to me. Like I said, my brother-in-law was the only one who could really get through to her, as well as my sister, because naturally I was living there. My mum spoke to me, he said, what are you going to do? Because the Arsenal fella kept phoning my mum and said, oh, can we sort it out, you know, can you come back and whatever. And I said, my mum, nah, I ain't having this no more. My mum was basically saying, we're going to have to sort it out. You know, what are you going to do? I was like, oh, mum, I'm done. She said, no, 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 I have to sort out. So in the end, they kind of like convinced me to go back, went back, kind of like kept my head down when I turned 18, gave me a pro contract straight away, no messing about. Bang, there you go, there's your contract. They believe in your this spiel. But I believed them when I was 18, I was good enough playing the first team. And I told I told the manager, I told George Graham, that I was good enough playing the first team at 18. Who was in front of you then? Sent forwards. In front of me then was uh, Perry Groves, Hazy. Merce, Alan Smith, uh, Kevin Campbell. Yeah, eight, yeah. So by 18, 19, I'm basically saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to play the first team. I remember George pulled me in his office one day and um, it was crazy because you go in his office, like the old hybrid was unbelievable, really traditional. So you walk in the office and I sat down and said, me sit down. So I sat down. But when I realised I sat down, he was actually looking down on me because the position of his chair in the office, he actually looked down on you. So I'm looking at I said to myself, you take the mic. 
So someone's like looking. <laughs> I said, nah, this guy's taking a mick at me. Yeah. So he started talking and because his accent was so broad, I didn't understand him. And he said, no, you, you think you're the bee's knees. I'm saying to myself, what's your about the bee's knees? <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't understand him. Yeah. And then he flipped and said, get out, get out of my office, get out. So I said, what's wrong with this guy? And I walked out of the office and, and, and that was there. So, I mean, like I said, I signed a contract and then they gave me another one maybe, I don't know, six, six eight months later and, and an improved contract for my first one and then kind of like went on loan from there. You just had pure belief in yourself? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I had 100% belief in, in myself, but as well, I had a lot of pent-up frustration and angry myself as well. You know, I, I always believed that I could play football to a certain level, but I mean, there's loads of other things you know, what used to propel me forward. And, you know, I always used to play with a lot of passion. I always wanted to prove to myself that I could do what people always used to say to me. I, I couldn't do so. I always used to carry a lot of anger with me as well. But you did actually play at Highbury at age 19, were you then? Yeah, that, that was an opportunity for me as well. You know, that was an opportunity for me to um, kind of like showcase my skills at, at such a young age. Even to this day, yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of Arsenal fans and they always turn around and say to me, oh, we can't believe George told you, we can't believe you didn't play in Arsenal's first team. And, you know, we always believe that he was good enough. Mm. You had a couple of loan spells, Carly, at Fulham and Bristol. Were you glad to get away from Ibra? I, I, was, I was buzzing. Because I, in the end, I was like saying, look, I, I want to go and play games. I want to go and play games. You know, if I'm not going to play out, I, I want to go and play games. So my, my first loan was to, uh, to Fulham. And that, that was funny because in, in those days when I was at Fulham, they hardly had any money. Yeah. You no, know, so I go there. We used to train at a Putney Fire Station. You know, you had to go. The pitches were shocking, shocking, shocking. After that, I had to take my own kit home and wash it. And so I thought, this is a proper nonsense, by the way, take my own kit home and wash it. <laughs> the pitch was so bad, it was full of mud. So it's, it's like playing Sunday League football, training Sunday yeah. League pitches. So, so you do that. And then um, one day we went away. And the coach broke down. We went up north, I can't remember, somewhere up north. And the coach broke down. And like they said, we're right, Cole, you got, you got to push the coach. So I said, no, 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 no. Push the coach? Push the coach. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that was my reaction. Yeah, and I said, no, 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 no. I've not come here to push the coach. Yeah. <laughs> so I, <laughs> there's quite a few of the senior boys that say, oh, he's arrogant and whatever, whatever. I'm not arrogant. I, I, I just didn't come here to push the coach. I come here to play football. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of like got I got summoned after that uh, by by uh, Jimmy Hill. So you, you you beat the cottage, yeah. So the cottage is a listing uh, listed building. So I got summoned. Had to go to the cottage. So I got to the cottage. Walk upstairs and whatever. And Jimmy Hill sitting there. Started having a chat. He goes, "Oh yeah." He said, um, "I remember it like it's yesterday because this would this really spurred me on." He said to me, um, "You think you're a bit of a player?" I said to him, well, I, said, I, I think I'm okay. I remember him saying to me, you've not got a chance as a player. I remember me saying to him, well, that is your opinion. Yeah, I know I will play. Well, I'm being very honest with you. I don't think you've got a chance. But I said, okay, not a problem. I got up and walked out. And considering I'm on loan, yeah, he's talking to a lonely player. I, I don't even belong to Fulham. No. I'm on loan. Yeah, and when he spoke to me like that, when I got up and walked out, I said to myself, there's another one. Mm -hmm. You will inspire me 
yeah, to move on to the next level. Because people like you have been doubting me ever since I've been a kid to where I am now. You know, you continue to doubt me. So that, that was one of my biggest, biggest things that drove me on as well, what, what Jimmy Hill said to me. Did you ever come across any of those people, including Jim, Jimmy Hill, sorry, in your latter years of playing? Um, you know, when, when, <laughs> when I ended up leaving Arsenal, because Jimmy Hill, I, I never came across him after that, but when I left Arsenal to go to Bristol City after my first loan there, Pat Rice called me on the day I was on loan at Bristol City. And he said to me, Coley, Coley. I said, yes, Pat. He goes, um, Derby County want to sign you. So I said, okay, not a problem. So does that mean uh, George wants to sell me? He goes to me, uh, I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you. I've been waiting 20, 30 odd years. I've never heard from Pat Rice again. On, on my life. No. On my life. And look how many times we played Arsenal or whatever. Yeah. He's, never, he's never come over to me and said to me, I'll tell you what, you proved me wrong or congratulations. Or yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those ones. So when you turn around and say, have I come across people like that? Yeah, there's been, there's been a few. There's been a, quite a few people that I've come across that have doubted me. Ray Lewington was another one as well when I was at Fulham. You know, he was a coach and that. He didn't really fancy me, but for me, it was like, manana, manana. Not, not really fast. I'm sure um, a few of those people were eating their words when you uh, broke the transfer fee to go to Newcastle. Yeah, Even if they yeah. didn't say it to you, for you to know that, it's still nice, isn't it? Yeah, you know what, H, you always get, naturally, you're always going to get the, the backstabbers when you get to that stage, but before you get to that stage, you're always going to get people down. You You know, when I left Bristol City, there's possibly three or four players come out and said, oh, we can't believe he's gone there. He's so arrogant, you know. He won't do it there. He won't do this. And I'm saying to myself, come on, man. It's like when I left Fulham, it's exactly the same thing when I was a kid on loan. Some of the senior pros, oh, he's this, he's that, and he's the devil knows what. And you turn and say, oh, come on, man. What's wrong with you? you know, I'm, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm different to you guys, but, you know, I believe I'm good at playing football. I mean, yeah, I might have conducted myself in the wrong way at times, but, you know, you can't begrudge someone who, who's prepared to work hard, you know, move on to the next level. Cole, you had, a, you had a spell where you brought the record, Bristol City record as well for a transfer fee and then you started banging goals in. What was it that actually clicked in your head? Was it the manager? Was it players around you? People believing in you? If you know, it was a case of me. I, I, I didn't really... When I played football, I, I didn't really care. I, I didn't really think about anything, just going out there and playing football. Dennis Smith was brilliant with me. He basically spent 500 grand on me. That was his budget done. Yeah? And he said to me, go out there and just score me goals. So you spent the whole of the Bristol City budget just on you? All his budget. He told me, this is my budget, 500 grand. Yeah, I want you here. So I didn't have, I didn't have an agent. It's me and my brother went there. But me and my brother talked about, what do you think? Yeah, it's fine. Can you live? Yeah, not a problem. The money, okay. Yeah, I'm not fussed about the money. Are you sure you're going to be okay? Yeah, I'm not really fussed. It's one of those ones. I'm not really fussed. I'm here to play yeah. football. At least I'm going to play games. I remember saying to him, he goes, all right then, let's do the deal. That was basically, that was a negotiation. That's because you felt wanted, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody who believes in you, trusts you, wants you. There you go. I mean, they gave me an offer. I didn't say, oh, mate, I need another £50 for, uh, I've got to pay my bills. No, I'll just sign the contract because I said to myself, I'm going to play games. I believe in myself that I'm going to score goals. And I remember Denny said to me straight away, he said, you come there, if anyone comes in for you, yeah, I will not stand in your way. Simple as that. You'll go. I'm almost standing away. And, and that was that. That's brilliant. I just want to go back to you saying, sorry, that you, you've mentioned this a couple of times. 
you know, such and such thought I was arrogant. Does that annoy you that people have that perception or do you genuinely not mind what those people's opinion of you are? are? Uh, no, no, I, I, I don't care. Then, yeah, it, it used to, it really used to um, kind of like get me down because I'm, I'm the least unarrogant person that you're most to become because with me, people, because people are like, I don't, I don't give myself to everyone. Yeah. You know, I'm quiet unless I'm around people that I know. Yeah. If I'm around people that I know and I get on well with, everyone knows that, yeah, I'll have a laugh and whatever. I'll do what I've got to do. I'll be loud and whatever. But if, if I feel uncomfortable around people, you know, yeah, I can be a bit standoffish because ultimately I, I want to know what your angle is. Mm. You know, but once, once you're in that circle, I mean, majority of the boys I, I play with, they're around and say, nah, totally opposite. Totally, totally opposite. So, yeah, it, it, it did used to really get me down. But as, as I've grown older, you know, I'm, I'm not really fussed anymore. So let's talk about Newcastle then. It's fair to say you went there and made quite an impact. Um, you definitely justified the record fee, that's for sure. Did you? Did that come with pressure for you? Well, I, I wasn't fussed. The, the only thing, I remember I spoke to Clarkie. Yeah, Lee Clark, big mate. And I spoke to him, I said to him, um, Clarky, what do you think? He said, oh, come on, lad, come on. They love you up there. And because I was between um, London and Bristol, I was, I was living, obviously, I was playing in Bristol, but I was still living in London. And I was saying, man, it's, it's a long way. Newcastle from <laughs> London. He's like, oh, come on, lad, come on. I said, where is it? I remember saying, where is it? <laughs> and he said, oh. <laughs> when Did you ever spend like, time at school, Coley? This, no, no, new day. <laughs> Going out, yeah, Newcastle, come on. Whereabouts yeah. in Scotland, is it? Yeah. When he said to me he was near Scotland, yeah, I was like, you know how far Scotland is? That's what yeah. I was thinking. You know, so yeah, Brilliant. we always just have a laugh, but because I play with like that 21s and all that kind of stuff, he, he just gets saying to me, Coley, they will love you in Newcastle, yeah? You will score goals and they will absolutely adore you in Newcastle. I'm saying to myself, all right, I spoke to Kevin, and it wasn't really Kevin that sold me the club in the end, it was Clarky, because he's my big mate. I said, speak to Kevin, a lot of respect for Kevin, what he achieved in his career, you know, the way he spoke to me on the firm. But in the back of my mind, I said, all right, all right, Clarky, yeah, all right. He said he's a good place, yeah, all right. He said, I'm going to enjoy my football. Basically, I'm going to sign because you're my mate. So he's one of those, I'm going to sign because you're my mate, and you keep telling me to come to Newcastle as well. So, all right, now I'm going to come to Newcastle. That's unbelievable. What did Dennis Smith, he said, was it? Yeah, when I was at Bristol yeah. City. Yeah. What, what was his take on it? Obviously, he's getting 1.75, but... Dennis had been sacked, man. Dennis right. had got so, sacked. Right. So, so who was the manager what, then? Uh, Russell Osman took the job. Yeah. So what happened then, before Dennis got sacked, Nottingham Forest bid for me. <laughs> so Dennis spent 500 grand on, on, for me, and then Nottingham Forest bid 600, <laughs> 600 grand. Also, had a 20% sell-on. Yeah. So Dennis called me in, before the game, he said, look, Colin, I said to you, you can go tomorrow, but I said, I can't save for 600 grand. So I also got a 20% sell-on. Yeah. Yeah? I said, come on, we're getting nothing. So I said, a lot of problems, Dennis. He's being honest with me. I mean, we played that day, a few days later, Dennis got sacked. I was took over. And like, I was doing my laundry as well, and I got a note on my windscreen. And it was us. Oz said to me, Coley, call me. So I said to myself, oh, man, I know I'm in trouble here. Because only people, when I'm in trouble, everyone says, Coley, God call me or whatever so I thought oh, I'm in trouble here again I don't know what I've done but I'm in trouble <laughs> called us and that's when he said me Newcastle want to take me they accepted the offer and whatever 
So like I said, in between that, speak to Kevin and talking to Clarky about it, you know, I basically made my decision from now. Unbelievable goal-scoring season. You got 12, 12 in, including two hat-tricks. 12 and 12, is that right? Yeah, 12 and 12. Um, that was, for me, that, that was just a little bit of luck. Can't all be luck, Carly. It was already going up. No, nah, they were going up. Can't have been luck every year. <laughs> they, they were so good. Yeah, they were going up. When Kevin brought me, he said to me, I've brought you to go up. And I turned around to myself, come on, man, that's, that's a nonsense, man. Look at you. You've got basically all the best players. Mm. Yeah, There's 12 games left. You're going to go up. Yeah, but he said, no, no, I've brought you. You're going to go. Weird. You're going to get us up. So I said, all right, not a problem. I'll go. I'll come on against Swindon, away at Swindon. And I, I think Newcastle lost or drew, if my memory serves me right. The week after, next game was at St. James's Park, home. Yeah. He started, and uh, I, I was running to form that was absolutely, the form I ran into was nuts. You know, ended up getting 12 in 12. But I had trick on the last day of this season as well. And I think I got a trick, I think it was against Knox County, somewhere like that. But yeah, the, the, the goals were absolutely flying in. What, was it like, what were the teammates like that you were playing with at that time? They, they were good, but I, I was kind of like, I was attached to like Clarky because he he was my mate, mm-hmm. so I, I didn't know what to expect. Was like boys like Venice, Paul Bracewell, all those kind of guys. So those those guys were were senior guys, you know. And uh, I, I didn't really know too much about what else was going on. And really, I was like, look, getting looked after by Clarky. I just want to go and play football, go home, or go out to dinner with Clarky and his family and go home. And that 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 was me. And I I wasn't know what to what to expect or anything like that. I just want to play football and that was it. Did you enjoy your life up there? I know it was a short period, but did you enjoy living there? No, I, I enjoyed Newcastle. I think for me personally, the only problem was it came too early for me. You know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of people idolising me. I, I think that's just, that's mad. You know, when I was at Newcastle, it was like, I go to the supermarket, you know, I end up leaving my trolley of food in the supermarket because I couldn't shop. You know, people will be chasing me around the store for autograph or whatever it is. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? I'm going to come out to like go shopping or whatever. Lovely, really, and I mean genuine lovely people. Yeah. But when I play football and I'm done, I switch off. I switch right off. I've got to go home. I've got to do other things. I mean, I beat myself up about my performance or whatever, but I need to switch off. Yeah. And when I was at Newcastle at such a young age, all these people idolise me. I'm like saying that. This is not quite right for me. I can't get my head around it. So you just find yourself going to training and going home and having no food shopping? <laughs> yeah, a bit like that. I'm, 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 I'm she like left it all behind. Yeah, a, a, bit, a bit of a recluse. <laughs> Did you say you stayed with Clarky for a few years? No, no, no. I, I no. had my own place. You know, right. when I went there, it, it wasn't like when I was your Man United and people said, right, we'd take you out and show you where to live and whatever. It was like, okay, go, go to Newcastle. We used to train at a place called um, Maiden Castle in uh, Durham. So Kevin said, look, I want the place to live around Durham area. So I said, well, I don't know Durham. So I ended up living in a place called uh, Crook, which was in Durham. But it was like in a small little mining village. I didn't know no better. Yeah. Uh, rented a house there. And I mean, my clothes was beautiful, really quite lovely in that. But if I went away and come back, I'd have someone like not does. Hi, Andy, you okay? So yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Everything's okay. The house is fine. You know, we're doing this and that. But it's like, I'll go anywhere and someone will be like, here's Johnny. Hi, you okay? 
I mean, knock the door, someone brings sugar around or something. I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this, you know? It was like that, but genuinely lovely people, but I couldn't do it because I've never experienced that in my life. Yeah, fanatical. I I found that really tough as well. So I ended up leaving then, like moving into Newcastle. So your um, first season, it was just obviously cut short, but 12 goals in 12. The second season wasn't too bad either. You were just firing them in. What was your relationship like with Peter Beardsley as well at that time when he came in? Oh, Peter, man, Peter was, Peter was one of the best players that I've, I've ever played with, man. He was, he was stunning. I, I said this the other days, but when people talk about playing in between the lines on the half turn and all this dropping into space, and Peter was doing that, I don't know, 20, 20 odd years ago, 30 odd years ago, whenever, whenever we were playing. You know, football intelligence was unbelievable. And I remember one of the first times I played with him, he said to me, right, Colin, stand still. I said to him, no, I can't stand still. He said to me, just stand still, you'll get space. But when we were coached when we were young, everyone used to say, oh, keep on the move, keep on the move, you've got to keep going. Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. the end, I, I stood still and then I started to get all this space. I'm saying, oh, no, this is not quite right. Someone's wrong. And he said to me, there you go. Uh, you don't always have to be on the move. So me still learning the game, when he came to Newcastle the year after they got promoted, I was learning things like that, you know, and I, I learned so much from him, not just how to score goals, but to take up certain positions and all those kind of things. And I mean, he was, he was a fantastic player. You talk about standing still, but your pace was electric as well when you did move. Yeah, my, a lot of my game was, was based on my pace, it was based on my pace and my movement. You know, all my sisters were very athletic, you know, they could all run. I keep asking myself, I'm not sure where, where we got it from. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my dad and I'm saying to myself, nah. I look at my <laughs> mum and I say, nah. You know, but I'm, I'm, I don't know where it's come from, but I've, I've got it from somewhere, you <laughs> yeah. know, which um, has, has helped me in the, in the long run. That partnership you had with Beardsley, was it just telepathic? Was it just, did you work on it in training or? Nah, amazing. Seriously, footballing-wise, he it was easy so, yeah, it was so, so cute. But don't forget, he had played played with Gary Lineker, he played with yeah. Rush, all those kind of guys. So for him to be playing with me is that, oh, come on, I'm, I'm a minor compared to those guys that I just mentioned, you know, me starting out in my career as well. Do you know, before he came to the club, or when they were talking about that, did you ever think you'd have, actually have that that bond with him? That I, I did, because I, I remember when Newcastle got promoted, yeah, and Kevin phoned me and said, you're right, Coley, just to let you know... Uh, I'm selling uh, David Kelly. Mm-hmm. I said to him, man, nah, that's a nonsense, man. So we've had a great relationship up front. He said, nah, I've got someone for you. I said, you've got someone for me? I said, I'll play with Dave Kelly. with have said, this guy, Dave Kelly's not got a patch on him. So I'm there racking my brain. I'm saying to myself, nah, Ned's a quality player. Nah, I yeah. can't have him. Peter Beasley come in. And then after that, it was, for me, it was, it was a fantastic dream. When did, I'm going to move forward a little bit, um, just because we are here to talk about Manchester United and we haven't even mentioned it yet. When did you know about the interest from United? So, the, the few England squads I, I got into, you know, I started to get on well with Incy. And Incy always, always used to say, my other gaffer likes you and whatever. You know, I said, nah, nah, there's no chance of obviously me going to my night because Newcastle would never sell me. Mm-hmm. He said, nah, he really likes you, really likes you and whatever. So it, for me, it was it's kind of like just banter. It was kind of like just banter. I didn't really take it seriously, you know, because I, I, I always said to myself, there's no chance that um, Newcastle would ever sell me, you know. Yeah, I know me and Kevin had a fallout 
you know, he, he kind of like, he cheesed me off, you know. He cheesed me off because the way he, he treated Clarkie one day, like that, that, that really like cheesed me off. And then we lost the game. I was cheesed off because we lost. So when, when we went out to London, stayed in the hotel, Kevin told me to do one. So I said, no, nah, not a problem to me. Pack my bags and walked out. And like I said, I've, I've been doing that since I was a kid. So for me, I made no difference to me. And I went on walkies for about five days. You know, and then um, the relationship was never the same. So when um, I started speaking to Wincy, well, previously, I, like I said, I never thought it'd happen, but for some reason it did. How did it come about? Maybe I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think, look, I've got, got massive respect for Kevin, but I don't think Kevin actually um, let go of that situation when I walked out on him. Because mm-hmm. like, like I always say, you know, I, if, if I speak to someone with respect, well, that's all I expect. But, you know, and the way he spoke to me, I turned around and said myself, nah, nah, this is not happening, mate. I've had this when I was young. Was you, was you lucky then, Cole, then to get away? Had you had enough then in Newcastle? No, no, I was it. You no. know what, Mesa? I'll be honest with you. I, was, I wasn't looking to, to leave Newcastle. I, I was very happy there. And I'm going to state that I was very happy at Newcastle. Yeah? Yeah. When that episode happened at the hotel when we was going to train and Kevin said that to me, yeah, I just basically said, no, I can't have it. I'm not having you talk to me like that. So when I went walkies for five days, yeah, and then I come back, we had a meeting, we settled it, gave me a new contract, signed a new contract. And as far as I'm concerned, my head was down, I was prepared to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Kevin let go of that situation. So from what I understand, the gaffer was phoning around, he phoned uh, Frank Clark at Nottingham Forest. Apparently Frank had left for the day regarding Stan. He tried Newcastle, I think he had a bit of a tip-off from, uh, I think it was Joe Rowe, the possibility that Kevin would sell me. Tried Newcastle. Kevin said, no, nah, possibility. Uh, if I can have Keith Gillespie. So I think once you say there's a possibility, if I can have Keith Gillespie, I think it's a done deal. And then yeah. after that, I remember I played for Newcastle against Blackburn on the Sunday, sitting down to watch the Man United game on the Monday against Sheffield United. Got the call. The deal was on. So I, I never, ever tried to force the Man United deal as far as I was concerned, I was a Newcastle player. Mm-hmm. You were obviously absolutely loved by the fans up there. Did that annoy you that you could never come out and tell your side of the story at the time? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always annoyed me. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that was really cheesed me because I've been up to Newcastle a few times and then you, you get the off few, you know, trying to stick it on you. And I turn around and say, I said, me, you're telling me the story like it's you. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell me the story if I know the story. So I remember a few years I went out there with Les and we did um, a few interviews and then I go there and then I love like some of the punters like want to be heckling me and I'm telling myself, myself all that you don't know how the story goes for us so if you're going to come in here and heckle me man, you might as well go home or I'll get up and walk out. I'm not really fussed by it. But I think previously now people start to understand really what's going on. Mm. You know, I, I never forced a deal because I, I didn't have to force the deal. They made a decision that they wanted to sell me. It's hard that is, as a player, isn't it? Because so many things are written about you. You're involved in so many stories. But when you're actually in that situation, it's very difficult to come out and tell the truth, isn't it? Until you've finished your career. Yeah. Yeah, very, very difficult. Um, but you have to accept it for what it is. Yeah. And that's that's what I try, I try to do in the end. I remember the first time I went back up there, I used to get booed for fun. I was disappointed considering that I, I, I didn't, I didn't force it. But that, that, that's football. 
Have you ever spoke to Kevin since? Yeah, I've, I've spoke to Kevin many, many times. And he's all right? No. Yeah, he's not a problem. Yeah. Not, yeah. not a problem at all. So the football world went absolutely crazy when you did make that move. Lots of people were thinking, why is Kevin Keegan and Newcastle allowed this to happen? But it did. Another British transfer fee. Was there any pressure for you this time going to Man United? I, I, at the time, I, I, I didn't feel under pressure because I, I didn't, I didn't understand the magnitude of of, of Manchester United. So every mood I made is like, "Man, you get on with it, yeah. I mean, just do what you've got to do." So I went in there with the, with the same mindset that I done when I went like, when to Bristol City, when I went to Newcastle, and then when I went to Man United, it was different. But I didn't understand just how different it was. And then when I realised how different it was, I kind of like I hit a brick wall. Well, in what way was it different, Colin? The size of it, everything. Yeah. Everything, just how big Manchester United was. I remember when I walked into the dressing room, yeah, my first training session was at Old Trafford, if you can remember. I had no boots, yeah, I had nothing. And I walked into the dressing room and I see people like Sparky, uh, obviously Eric, Pete. Obviously, I met NC before, Brucey, uh, Skip. And I'm saying to myself, oh my God, two years ago, I'm actually watching these guys, you know? That's how rapid my rise was. Like, yeah. mm. I'm watching these guys, and then two years later, I'm actually in the same dressing room as them. And then I'm going to be actually playing with these guys come the weekend or whatever. I couldn't kind of like comprehend it at that time. So that was the first time I actually looked around and said to myself, hmm, this is kind of like interesting. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. And it's the first time I actually thought about it. Because otherwise, I, I didn't really think about moving. I would say, go play football, school goals, do what you've got to do, go home. Repetitious. When I went to Man United and that, I, I started to think a little bit too hard. Hmm. You know, and, and that's when I started to come a little bit of a cropper. Did you think too hard or did you try too hard? Bit of both. Bit of both. Bit, definitely a bit of both, yeah. I mean, what, sometimes when you're in there, it's like, you, when I was there, I said, oh, you, I've got to try and justify the fee. It wasn't the case that I need to justify the fee. No. I should have done what I always done, justified everything to myself first and foremost, you know, and then everything from there was going to fall into place. Maisie, do you remember when Coley came? Because it must have been an exciting time knowing that you're oh. getting this player who's just scoring goals for fun. Yeah, he was delighted, of course. Yeah, British record. You knew that Coley scored goals for fun. I mean, when I was at Blackburn, I remember playing against Coley in the last one into the top corner of his left foot. I think it was a bit of a shank, to be fair, like, but, um, <laughs> but no, you, you just knew exactly. You, you was buying a, an out and out goal scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't Collie wasn't one of those who dribble, dribble past five or six players and lash into the into the top of the net, uh, top of the corner. He was the type of player who just bang goals in, and you, his record speaks for itself. Phenomenal. So you knew you had something special, and taking off Newcastle as well was also a big thing because a couple of years later, or maybe the year later, you know, we was going toe-to-toe with them. Had Dave had Coley, maybe we wouldn't have won the league the year later. Yeah. Did you see any difference in the standard, Coley, of the, the training, for example, when you came to United? Yeah, I, I saw a, a massive, massive difference, you know, uh, mindset of the players. You know, I'm getting my United all had international players, the one before... So the mindset straight away. Yeah, training is different. But the competitiveness to want to win, constantly want to win. I mean, improve all the time, improve all the time, become better players. 
you know, um, siege mentality. I, I, I realised virtually straight away what Man United was about. Christmas time, wasn't it, you came? Yeah, 95. Yeah? So you got the second half of the season, United-Blackburn going head-to-head for the title. Last game of the season, you miss a couple of chances. You get a knee-jerk reaction from the press as, you know, is can he, can he take the pressure? Was Did that affect you anyway, or did it just... Yeah, I'll, I'll be brutally honest with you. Yeah, it did. Um, I, I mean, I, I wrote that in my book. My, my book's out next month. I, I, I remember saying that um, 95 was horrible. And I mean, when I say horrible, it was, it was a heart-wrenching experience for me. Mm. The fact that Man United had brought me in, the Gaffer brought me in to try and win the title. I felt like I'd let everybody down. You know, by not going on to help Man United win the title that year. On top of that, I'd missed the birth of obviously Devontae. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was there like from the, I think it was the Sunday I went down to London. So I was there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Gaffer called me and said, you know, we've got a big game coming up on Wednesday. So I'm thinking, right, I've been down there since Sunday. If I get up the road, which I went out Wednesday morning, yeah. catch the show, play the game, yeah, play the game, get myself back to London, and then I'll be there for the birth of my son. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. By the time I got up to London on the Wednesday, I mean, got at Manchester on the Wednesday, my boy was born. But I'd been there from the Sunday, like, waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember, like, I was getting in the neck. I can't believe you missed the birth and, you know you chose football in front of me and blah, blah, blah. And, and it, it, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. I'm saying to myself, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. Then on top of that, I've now got a big game and then we get to the, the last game of the season and it doesn't work out. It's like, oh my God, what a disaster this has been. I've let so many people down. That, that, I'm, I'm young then. That, that was my thought process. Like, I've let Man United down. I've let her down. I've let my son down. And yeah, it was hard. And then you take all the flat. It was real, real difficult. I'm not going to lie. But then my mates took me away on holiday and had a good holiday. So that kind of like softened the blow. Mm. That's how I look at it now. You know, that yeah. softened the blow. So then to have that break over the summer probably did you good. Maybe I know you say you don't like reflecting, but did you have reflecting time that summer to think, right, I'll go again when the season starts in August? Hey, I, I couldn't wait to get back to pre-season. That, and that's, mm-hmm. that's how bad it was for me. That's That summer, that summer of like 95 was... It was horrible, 95 nights. It was, hor- it was horrible. I, I mean, I, I, I can see it now. It was so, so horrible. I mean, losing the title, you know, like I said, getting in the neck. I was like, come on, man. I don't think I could ever go for a worse stage of my career, never mind my life, until obviously years later, obviously mm-hmm. I have done. But at that time, I mean, I, I, I didn't know what to do myself. Yeah, but- Cole, you only missed a couple of chances. Eric missed half the season. I know, I know, I know, Mace, but you know, you know when... I know, yeah. The mindset is, you know, I've got to do it for so many different people, you know? And ultimately, I want to do it for myself as well, but I, I, I don't like letting people down, definitely not. So what about the next season then? The next season? That went all right for you. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, went, all, it went all right. I, I didn't get the, the, um, the goals return I, I would have liked. Uh, I mean, the next season, we went on to win the double. Did you ever, Cole, did you ever set yourself targets or do you just would you always think I should be getting 20 goals I should be getting 25 goals or no as long as, I, I as, as long as I'm contributing goals I'm okay I, I, I wouldn't 
I never really used to set myself told like I need to be like 20 goals a season. I think that's kind of like self-centred. Oh, would you think? As long as we win, that's, yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was on that ill, you know. Naturally, yeah, I, I, of course I want to feel like I'm contribute by getting my goals that I'm going to contrib- contribute towards the team. But then I'm saying to myself, I want to win. I, I, the, the W is the important thing, not like oh, me getting two goals and me losing two one and me walking out the place like, oh, have a look at me, I've got myself two goals. No, you've got to get the, the W, get three points and you know, propel yourself forward. What was it like playing against your old team, Newcastle? I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, you, I enjoyed playing against You rattled Newcastle. one in against Christmas, yeah. was it around Christmas time, wasn't it? I remember yeah. the pitch being half frozen. Frozen, yeah, half frozen. Yeah. Gigs just sit that one and I, and I, I, I sigh for it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed playing against any of my old teams. You know, you have to, for me personally, like, you go out there, you're proving to yourself, but you're proving to a team that, yeah, you shouldn't have let me go. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to have, you've got to have that kind of like energy for me. You've got to like, want to show people, okay, okay, not a problem now. Yeah, okay, this is what you think. Yeah, let's go from there. Colin, there's rumours, 96, 97, <laughs> with Blackburn, as a swap deal for Shearer. Did you, do you know anything about that or did you know about that? You know that? what, Maisie, so, so much has come out over the years, I, I, wouldn't, I would not have been surprised if that was the case. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, he decided to keep turning down Manchester United. You know, he'll be the only one who can ask why he kept turning down Manchester United. So I, I, I would not have been surprised at all. What was your relationship like with Sir Alex in the first couple of years, especially? When you yeah, did you know, fail? Did you, did you ever mention that, you know, you had this maybe a little mental block where, you know, you were anxious about scoring goals. Was that the case? Did you ever speak to him about that? No, I, I think for me, it's just a case of getting my head down and working as hard as I could do. I put in a hell of a lot of work with Kiddo uh, on the training pitch with my finishing and just trying to gain that confidence. Um, I, I never really spoke about uh, about it to the gaffer. Yeah, every now and then he pulled me in, have a chat about it. They don't worry about it. It will come. Um, just keep doing what you were doing previously. That's why I brought you to the club. So it's kind of like those kind of terms. When was it that you started to feel really comfortable at the club in terms of giving back what you thought you'd be giving back from the start, scoring the goals? When did that moment kind of happen for you? That, that moment happened for me, H. I, I, broke, I broke my leg against Liverpool in a, in a reserve game at Anfield. I mean, everyone's seen it. Naughty tackle. Did you make one like a two? Two. Two, yeah. So, I remember coming off there, and I remember my rehab, and I set myself during that rehab, because I was really, really done. I set myself in that rehab, right? If you don't come back from this and make yourself a Manchester United player, you've not got a chance. So that was my mindset. So from that day, I said, you have not got a chance. You will not be a Manchester United player if you don't come back after this. So that was, my, that was basically my siege mentality from there. Come back from his broken leg, yeah, both of them the way you should, the way you know you can do it. Otherwise, call it quits. Was it a boost getting the number nine shirt? Maybe I could, I could have been given the number one shirt. It, it made no difference. You know, I, I remember Chuck, <laughs> Chuck's he's got a story about that, the way, the way the gaffer sold it to him about giving me the number nine. It, it wouldn't have made a difference with me because mentally, mentally I was, I was fighting, I was torturing myself, you know, instead, instead of me just letting it flow. So like yeah. I said, coming back from the broken legs and that, that's, that's when it really clicked for me. Mm-hmm. You have such great mental strength. You have to come from that as well. Hey, I, know, I know no better. You know, I had a, 
I've, I've had this conversation with my mum and mum always says to me, look, whatever you do, you don't quit. Mm-hmm. So you don't quit. You, you take it for what it is, yeah? No days are going to be the same. There's going to be some real tough days, but if you quit, I mean, that's the easy thing to do. You just got to get your head down and work. You came back from fitness that, that, that after your two broken legs, scored against Liverpool. Yeah. Did you play against Ruddick that, that day? Was there, was, any, was there any resentment to Ruddick for doing what he did? I will be brutally honest with you. You know what? The only thing I, I have in my, in my heart for him, yeah, is forgiveness, yeah? And I think, I've got to say, I thank you for it because after that, I look at the way I come back, you know? And I, I know he's, he's trying to glorify it. Yeah. Yeah. And I look at that and what, what can Feel you sorry say? for him? Yeah, because ultimately, what can you say to that? Someone's yeah. going to glorify something like that. You try and say, so, and what do you get out of it? You know, so for me, move on and it, it turned me into the Manchester United I ended up becoming. And then the next season, Cantona left. Um, he retired, of course, and you stepped into the limelight. Did that also make a bit of a difference for you? No, not for me, H. I'm, I'm not that limelight kind of guy. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, if, if I can slip in anywhere last and no one notices me, I'm doing it all day long. Mm-hmm. So it's not about hogging the limelight for me. You know, I just want to go and play football and give everyone the best of my ability and then slip off into the mist. I'll be brutally honest with you, yeah? I would have been the guy who, once his football career retired, if he never heard from me again, he never heard from me. Mm. That, that would have been me if I didn't obviously fall ill and all those kind of things. No one would ever know. I'd, I'd never ever would have told anyone about my illness if it wasn't for my parents. Mm. Yeah. That's the kind of guy. I, I would I'd have slipped off into the mess and people would say, do you remember that Andy Cole? I, I would have been one of those kind of guys. To be fair, Cole, like, half the time that happens anyway. Well... There you go. There you go. How's Coley doing? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Have you seen out of him? No. Heard out of him? No. Nothing, no. Is he still around? He's in space, that's why. <laughs> but, that, but that next year, Coley, Teddy Kemp comes in. Yeah. Obviously, your, your relationship on the pitch was phenomenal. You know, you played ever so well together, but off the pitch, you know, you never spoke to each other. No, we, we did. We, no, he's... Well, you'd say hello or whatever, but you kept yourselves... Um, he, he might he, he might have said hello to me, but I can't remember saying hello back to him. <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying to, Colly, I was trying to be nice, son. Yeah, we were. What instigated all that? See what instigated all this? I, I made my debut at Wembley. Uh, I think it was Uruguay. Was it Uruguay? Yeah, I think it was Uruguay. And he, he totally blanked me on the line, and I was I was mortified. This is this is your England debut, and I was absolutely. So you're coming up for him, and he blanks you. Yeah. Mortified, and I've never felt so belittled in all my life. And I, I remember running on, I, I don't know if I was on for 20, 25 minutes, and yeah. all I was saying to myself was, I can't believe that. Devastated, absolutely devastated. I couldn't wait to get off the pitch. That's how, that, that's how I remember my England debut. I couldn't wait to get off the pitch because I, I felt so embarrassed. It was unbelievable. It, 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 as if someone said, well, I'm actually coming off for you. It was one of those ones. Yeah, we all get disappointed when we get substituted. It's not like the modern day rule when you can walk off the other side of the pitch and, you know, I'm making my debut and this is supposed to mean a hell of a lot. And to get snubbed on the line, it's like, I need to get out of this place as quick as possible. So when, when you knew he was coming to United, was there any, what was your thought process then? My, my thought process was, it is what it is. The government is, is. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm, I remember all the boys bantering me, uh, Barty, Giggsy and all the boys just bantering me then. Obviously, when it came and everyone used to banter me about it. But I, I decided I'm, I'm just going to get my head down. Yeah, do what I've been Major. doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then whatever happens after that happens. I think a lot of the time as well, people think in football, you know, you're a part of a team and everybody has to be best friends. But it's just like a normal job, isn't it? You go into offices. Some people don't get on. Some people do get on. But I think people have a different perception that football shouldn't be like that or it's not like that. Football's like any, any other job. Yeah, you're going to yeah. have ups and downs. You're going to fall out with people, whatever it may be. It, it is what it is. You, you, you make the best out of it. Uh, I remember I went out with Pally one night and Pally said to me, Coley, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I don't know what's going on with you and him, yeah? But the way you two play together, keep doing it. Yeah. Just keep getting on. That's all that mattered to the fans at the end of the day. Yeah, and senior pros' opinions always always meant a lot to me ever since I was a kid. I mean, I've, I've always respected Pally. And when he said that to me, I said to myself, oh, man, I, I must be doing something right here. Who, who did you have a close relationship with in the changing room? I got on, you know, I got on well with everyone in the dressing room. Obviously, when Yorkie came, yeah. You know, me and Yorkie got on even more, but I got on well with Barty, Giggsy. You know, I'd, I'd known Barty when he was younger, when he played for uh, England. I went to go and watch him play. We got on ever since then, obviously, Maisie, Scozy. I, I got on well with everyone. There's, I was just me around my teammates. I was just me. You know, yeah, I'm, I was quiet and that, but like I said, once I'm involved in it, I'm involved in it and I immerse myself into whatever culture it is. And the culture of the dressing was something that I loved. You know, so I, I was always involved in what was going on. Who did you room with in those days? Giggsy, yeah. When I first joined, Giggsy, yeah. Was that a good, good rooming partnership? Yeah, Gig, yeah, Giggsy was cool. It was cool. He, he took me out on my first night out in Manchester as well. You know, when I first joined the club, so I, like I said, never ever had a problem. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's, it's just a case of getting to know everybody, uh, and once everybody got to know me and understood what I was about. Never ever had a problem. Colin, what was it like when come '98, Glenn Hoddle leaves you out of the England squad for the World Cup? I'm, I'm not going to lie, Maisie. I, I knew it was coming, and I, I knew it was coming. And it was one of those ones. Like I said, for me, everything, the, the, the way my parents have brought me up, yeah, is to be respectful. And that's all I've ever done. You know, we, my elders, I've never called them by the, the Christian names. It's always Mister or Mrs. You know, and that's that's all I being brought up be respectful the way the way Glenn dealt with me over that period I'm saying to myself you treat me like a little kid and I can't accept it I cannot accept it you know he, he did the article in the newspaper telling me coming out and saying that I'm going to need X, Y, Z amount of chances to score a goal why do you do that? you've got a telephone you pick the phone up you phone me and you say whatever you think I say whatever I think and we go from there but then you do that in a newspaper and don't expect to retaliate. So I retaliate. Yeah? Everyone starts having a go at me like, you can't have a go. But I said, oh, why can't I? You know? We get to the World Cup, he phones me. Yeah? And the conversation went something like this. Hi, Ernie. Yeah. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Just to let you know, um, I'm touching base with you. I won't be picking you for the squad. So I said to him basically, yeah, no, you won't be picking me. And I put the phone down. And that was that. That was that. Do I believe I should have gone to 100% I should have gone? But that was a conversation. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And you never spoke? No, that was it. That was Basically, that was it. Oh. But then when, when he said like what he said, I turned around and said, hold on. And I said then, 
I played Champions League football every other week. And I scored goals in the Champions League. I'm playing against better players in the Champions League than what England were facing in respective internationals. We're playing Inter Milan, we're playing Real Madrid, Bayern and all that. You know, we're not playing like teams like Moldova and all those kind of things. You're questioning my ability to score goals on the international stage when I do it every other Wednesday in the Champions League. Oh, come on. Pull the other one. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't be at Man United if, if I wasn't good enough. So it, it was one of those ones. Did Sir Alex ever talk to you about that? Yeah. yeah he was probably going to have to keep you fit, actually, for, yeah. yeah. Exactly. The gaff was fine, though. Okay, not a problem. Come back next season. I mean, fit and ready. Have a nice break. Uh, see you pre-season. So it's it one of those ones. Got my head down. Had a decent summer, and that was that. Mm-hmm. Yorkie comes in. Yeah, y- Yorkie come in. Um, but I, I, I can be very honest about that as well. Yorkie come in. I, I love Yorkie like he's my own brother. And I know to this day, if, if Patrick Cliver had chosen Man United instead of Barcelona, you know, we won't be having this conversation. Mm. That's how close it was. You know, Cliver decided to go to Barcelona. You know, Yorkie come in. And I hardly kicked the ball for what? I think it was four, five games. I think Yorkie played with Giggsy, Scolzi, Ollie. Ollie, Ted. Yeah. You know, and I was the last one to be given a game at, uh, with Yorkie at the Old Dell. What, what was it about Yorkie that you became one of the, or probably the most feared strike partners in Europe? Polar, polar opposites. You know, amazing. Me and Yorkie are polar opposites. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we under, understand each other. Yeah. Like, we were born together. Yeah. No, we never argue. We've never ever had an argument. We've never had a crossword. Nothing. We've never, you know what? We've never fallen out. I don't think you could ever fall out with Yaki though. Well, well, there you go. But we've never had a crossword. And the way he played complimented the way I played and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love playing with him. I, I love the energy he brought. I said the other day, Yorkie brought something out of me that I know I had in me, but it was, it was on the back burner. And then he come and the way he conducted himself, he, he brought something out of me that I said, yeah. Yeah, kind of like, this is what I've been waiting for. Did you feel threatened initially? No. When he was coming in? No, never felt that. No, Yorkie come in. I, I knew the, the kind of like position I was in. I took Yorkie out to dinner. I mean, I took him house hunting, everything, everything. So a, a man who's threatened doesn't do things like that. I was like, well, if he's going to come in to make Manchester United better, well, so be it. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about my position because if I'm still here, me and go to the end of the season, win the championship, and I've played enough games, I'm involved in that as well. So it was no resentment whatsoever. I was exactly the same with Rude as well. No resentment whatsoever. And that ninety-nine season, you were obviously absolutely pivotal. Did you enjoy that season from start to finish? I did, considering at the start of that season where I was in the pecking order and then we get to May and it's gone on what? Full circle. Mm. You know, people talk about obviously us winning the treble. People talk about the partnership me and the White have got and things like that and some people turn, turn around and say, oh, you've got to be so disappointed that you didn't score in the European Cup final and it was Holly and Teddy. And I said, why would I be disappointed? Mm. Huh? What do you think it's all about me or something? You know how long a season takes? I mean, it's 10 months. Huh? We have to go through the qualifiers again in, into the Champions League. And people are saying, oh, you've got to be so disappointed. Oh, if it was me, I'd be devil. 
Devil about what? Wouldn't the treble kit? I'm really devil about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was I was so gutted. I, I never I didn't celebrate that night. So that that season for me is the best season I could ever ever have had. I don't. I think I'm gonna be like everybody else. You know, looking back on the career was involved in that season, it was just a phenomenal season. Is there any key games that you like? to think about that you've been reflecting about in lockdown. What about that uh, one in 1998 at the new Camp? I think it was November, that very famous goal between you and Dwight. Is that one you look back at fondly? Yeah, I, I love that goal. Um, I think as you get older, I, I enjoy it even more. I remember the night before we were training and, and the gaffer kind of like went off on me. And he said to me, I know when I'm in trouble, she screamed out, Cole. So I said, oh, here we go again. He said to me, focus, will you? Stop effing about, just focus. And I said to the boys, you know, if I, if I score tomorrow, I'm going to run over because there's like, there a Ford Focus sign there. And I said to the lads, if I score tomorrow, I'm running over to that sign and pointing at the sign because the gaffer was hammering me the night before. So when I did score, I ran over to the sign. That's where you see me pointing at the sign yeah. where it says focus. You know, so I, that, that goal for me, people always talk about is one of the best as well in, in most of the team goals. Yeah, in, in Champions League four because it, it was a great team goal it wasn't just about the interplay of me and Yorkie it was a ball in midfield from Skip and he fizzes it in and then we played from there so yeah real quality goal I suppose it, it, it epitomises your relationship though that goal really doesn't it the two of you yes yeah because that, that season and seasons after we, we got quite a few goals like that. The, the understanding was was phenomenal uh, no communication we didn't have to call over Jacks, whatever. We just knew where each number was going to be. And that's what, for me personally, makes it even so more satisfying that we could actually play football like that, you know, without even communicating. You know, that's, that's real, real special. It says a lot that that season you were really disappointed not to start against Spurs in May. And you've made that quite uh, clear before. You just wanted to play, and you wanted to start, but you didn't eventually come on. But how did that conversation go with the manager? Uh, it was, to be fair, it's like quite a few conversations I've with the manager. I mean, I would say this, he would say that, and then I walk out of the room, and I still not change his opinion. So it was one of those ones. I, I was a bit disappointed not to have started a game, but you know, as, as I've mentioned quite a few times, now, it's a team game. I, th- I think in, in, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, I, I had a good season. And we'll get to the last game of the season, you say to yourself, you want to be involved in this. You know, last game of the season, you need to beat Tottenham at home. You know, I, I, I want to be there from the start, but the manager had other plans. And for the manager, obviously for me as well, those other plans worked out. What a bad love, was it? Yeah, my, my first touch, and I've said, Nev, possibly one of the best balls I received off Nev in six years at Old Trafford. Particularly with his left foot. Yeah. <laughs> I know he was a bit of a long punt and I've had to do the dirty work. It goes in and I score and I, I was on the bench with Yap and I said to Yap, if I score, I'm going to come over and, and celebrate with you. So me and Yap had a little bit. I, I didn't make it because so I got collared and nearly got strangled, I think, by then. Sorry, mate. Yeah, you see Maisie as well. Maisie as well, yeah. 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 But that, for me personally, put a lot of a lot of ghosts to rest. You know, because that takes me back to 95 when I have the opportunity to um, help me United go on and win the league. You know, we don't do it. And then full circle, 99, I'm in that position to get the goal, to get the winner. 
And I feel, yeah, redemption. There's, there's my redemption there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were your children, um, Devonte must have been, what, four? Would they have been in the Champions League final? Were they there with you? Uh, no, Devonte didn't come. There's many, many people I'd love to have been at that final. You grow up as a kid, you want to play in the Champions League final. There's so many people who helped me on my journey. What I'd love to be in that Champions League final, but it wasn't there. So there's a lot of pictures you don't even see me on in the Champions League final. I, I just took time for myself. I mean, I, I remember I had time out. If you look at Maisie's on top of the cup, you know, if, 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 if you try and find a picture of me, no, I, I took that little bit of time out to say, you know, this, I've come a long, long way, by the way, long, long way. Ups and downs, trials and tribulation. This is the time I kind of like save it, have a look around at my teammates, have a look at the stadium, the punters and all that and say, this is special. I know people say, oh, you say, oh get in the front of the photo or whatever. Man, I, in here, I know what it feels like. I've been there, you know, and that, that's, that's, that's what it is for me. Does your son remember that evening? Did he watch back then? Yeah. You know, as, you know, as, you, as your kids grow up, half the time they don't really talk about a lot of things like that, you know. But I, I know he's mad proud of me. I know he's mad proud of the goals that I've scored and whatever. But as, I think as I don't talk about things like that, I think mean, he's yeah, like, oh, he mm-hmm. yeah, my dad doesn't talk about it. He's just a normal guy to me. You know, we talk about football in general and whatever, but I never, ever talk about me, my career, whatever. I turn around and say to myself, why would I want to do that? Why do I want to talk about myself? You know, I, I, I talk about other players that I played now, what I thought of those as players and great players, and you know. But I, I never talk about myself. I'm, I'm not self, self-indulged like that. But you still are the third all-time goal scorer in Premier League history. That must come up quite a few times still. Yes, it, it does. And I'm, I'm still very proud of it, considering I've been retired for some time now. Considering you've never really took penalties either, it is quite unbelievable. A lot of people's are made up of penalties, aren't they? Yeah, I've, I've never took penalties. And a lot of boys are giving me a little bit of stick, especially now I've retired as well, saying we can't believe he, he didn't take penalties because we genuinely believe that if you'd have took penalties, naturally you'd have got more than what you got. Yeah. But you know, you know what? I, I look at that, H. I turn around and say to myself, I'm very proud. Even if people don't want to give me my flowers about it, I'm very, very proud that I've done it with one penalty involved. So we can we can go back to Glenn Hoddle saying I need a zillion chances to score our many goals. We can go back to people. <laughs> Imagine if you could have took all them chances, Cola. Yes. Got over a thousand goals. Exactly. I mean, all the people that have questioned my ability over the years, I look at my record as 187 in the Premier League and I'm proud. Very, very proud. Of course. But people don't want to talk about, oh, he's done it without no penalties. No one wants to mention that. If you mention it, it'll start upsetting people. You know, but I'm, I'm very proud of what I've achieved, definitely. Mm-hmm. If you were playing now, how many goals a season do you think you'd be scoring? Me and Yorkie have this conversation all the time. I'm telling Yorkie, I reckon I'm getting 40 a season. <laughs> <laughs> 40 a season, mate. <laughs> 100%. Oh, love that. Now, we, we have this... Me, me and Yorkie banter all the time about this. Why? Why? Why would that be? Why? I look at this defending you. I'm talking about myself. Wow. <laughs> what? Literally, wow. Would you defend against like someone like me like that? Come on. Everything's all in front. It's like windscreen wipers. I'm saying, okay. 
there's like 20, 30 yards of space in the air. I was running there all day long. Good. The goal doesn't move. If the goal don't move, now I get in there, I've got a great opportunity of scoring. You know? Defending, it seems to be so passive. You get a free kick for anything. I'm t- oh, man, come on. I've got a great opportunity. Yeah, but you can be like that, Carly. You, you can be diving like the day now. Hey, amazing. I never dive. You know me, I never dive. No. I, yeah, you know, I two foot someone, not a problem. Yeah. But I never dive. Never, ever, ever <laughs> No way. Yeah. Well, you'd be getting red cards for that. Oh, Jesus. You'd never be playing, <laughs> would it? That, that'd be it. Which, what red card? My one of seven? <laughs> no, I said if you were two-footing people now, you'd be getting them. Yeah, definitely. Colin, when you look back at your United career, who are the players, the outstanding players that you think, wow, I'd love to be another season? Do you, do you look back in the players and games? Do you look back at games and think, I'd love to have another, another hour and a half of that? Oh, man, do I? That's what reflection time has done for me in, in that 40 weeks. What, could I do it again? 150% I could do it again. Time machine... Would I go back? Definitely. I'll go back for some of the best banter I've ever had in the dressing room. Yeah. Then on top of that, to play with, obviously, Schmikes, you, Ronnie, Nev, Skip, Scozy, Bex, Gigsy, Yorkie, Old Ted, what? Man, I'd, I'd happily do that tomorrow. I would do. And some of the other boys who obviously didn't, didn't get to the levels that we got to, but unbelievable around the football club people like Ben uh-huh. all those kind of guys man I'll, I'll go back to Mark going to Little I mean Littleton Road training oh, great days having banter getting in our car driving back to the cliff to get a shower man I, I'd happily do that to Mark I mean th- those those days for me you know have, have meant so much you know I, 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 do, I do miss those days yeah I'd I don't miss playing and things like that, but I miss more than anything the camaraderie. I miss the banner like mad. And if I could have that banner tomorrow, man, I'd all day long for me. Mm-hmm. So you would choose that over scoring a goal, the banter in the changing room? I would choose that banter to see people's gear hung up in the dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> Just battering each another for nine months of the year, all day long. Oh, all day long. That was class. But it, it just makes me chuckle now just seeing the lads gear just shoved between the rafters and the, the polystyrene ceilings and yep. a pair of jeans or tops or anything, coats, just hanging you, you down, just getting ripped. You can't buy that? No. I, I think, Colin, I think because because of that dressing room, all right, they were all fantastic players, but to have that bond, that team togetherness, for me was the reason why we were so successful. Yes. Yeah. We, we all knew what we wanted from each other. Yeah. And that's a big importance. You've got to know what you want. You've got to demand from each other what you want. Yeah, we, we're, all, we're all different. We're all different individuals. We've all got different kind of egos. But ultimately, we all want a W coming in this season. Mm-hmm. And that was a massive, massive thing. What about leaving the club then? Was that a difficult decision for you? What was your conversation with Sir Alex like at that time? Yeah. Did you talk to him about it? That, that was a real difficult uh, decision for me. But the, the, gaffer, the gaffer knew who I was as a person. I remember when I, the first time I went to see the gaffer, because he, he was changing the way we were playing. I wanted to play, um, like, one of, obviously, Rude up front, either Scozio or Wang at the top of the diamond. And I know I wasn't going to play games then. And I remember saying to the gaffer, I said, look, gaffer, I'll be honest with you. I want to play games. If I'm not playing or if I'm not, if I don't believe... I'm contributing towards the team. 
I genuinely believe I'm, I'm making a living. You know, I've got to feel like I'm giving something back to everyone. For me, it's say, yeah, you deserve to get paid or whatever. And that, that's just me. And I remember when I, I went to him, he said to me, no, nah, I'm not selling you. You can stay as long as you want, I'm not selling you. And I said, Gaff, man, I, I want to play because I, I wanted to try and force myself into the World Cup squad as well. Yeah. And I believe that the only way I could do that was playing games. And he kept saying, you'll, you'll get your games there, you'll get your games. But my games were going to be against not being disrespectful, Bolton's, Coventry's, all those kind of teams. When it comes to Champions League games on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, mm. I'm going to be on the bench. And I, I, I couldn't comprehend that. And I'm so headstrong when it comes to like, earn a living. My granddad always used to say to me, earn a living. Yeah. Do not rely on nobody, owe nobody nothing. So in the back of my mind, I'm saying, I've got to earn, I've got to earn. I've got to feel like I'm doing something here. You know? Headstrong, Gaffer in the end said, okay, I know where you're coming from. I know what you are. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you go. Sold me for what, seven million? It's not a bad return, is it? Exactly. Six years later, he's, he's made a million pound on me. <laughs> and also, yeah. I mean, that, those are the only reasons that I, I left Manchester United. You know, that I, had, I had to do it for me. I had to do it for my self-preservation. I had to do it for, I mean, my thought process, you know, my mentality. And what I am. Uh, look back and regret it. Yeah, I should never ever have left, but I have to force myself to do things the way I believe is right for me. Really? So you do actually regret it then when you look back? You think? Yeah, I, I regret because the way it worked out for Blackburn. Uh, Blackburn is a fantastic football club. And I would state that. But my relationship with the manager then, with um, Graham Sunez, she was like, you know what? Mate, I'm just going to go and most probably have a tear up every day. It, it was kind of like that in the end. I was so unhappy, like, going in there. I went back to being a kid. I mean, being a rogue and saying, oh, man, you know, if it goes off, it goes off. I might as well just have it. You know, and, and in the end, it got to the stage where I'm at Blackburn and I was in such a rage and all that fire and all that anger come back in me. I even said to the manager, you know, let's just have it. You know, because I, I knew it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't right. That everything wasn't right and the, the way that, he was kind of like wanted the club to be run and all those kind of things. It wasn't right for me. What about the two foot challenge you talk about? Oh, the, the, the one on Yorkie. Was it on Yorkie? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. They, they, it, it, it couldn't have been on me that one because we, we'll still be out there now fighting. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, Yorkie, man. Yorkie is so calm and placid, man. I, I remember that challenge on Yorkie. And I remember when he, he, he pulled up in his trouser pant and said, Okay, let's play. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then two foot Graham is like, wow. <laughs> wow, Yorkie never loses the plot. No. And when I see him lose the plot, I know he's angry. And I, and I mean, I know he's angry because he never gets angry. <laughs> Colin, talk about out, out, outstanding. I've got to ask you. You know it's coming. The, the song, come on. Uh, yeah, Andy Cole, break it down. Tell the world my name. Who's that Andy Cole? I blaze the scene. Not from drugs, you bet we're outstanding. 
well, you know what I did that, you know? 99, we were on a crest of a wave, man. Look, if, if I went into the ocean, yeah, I reckon I could have walked on water, yeah? I could have wrestled a great white in 99. <laughs> I could have done anything. <laughs> I could have done absolutely anything. 99 was unbelievable. And like, like I said, I'm, I'm looking back at 99, it's like, come on, man, I'll, what more? Or how high can you feel? So someone said to me, how did you fancy doing this? I said, I can do anything right about now. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll do anything right about now. <laughs> it was one of those ones. So that, that's why I ended up doing that. And, you know, we, we, had a, we had a good laugh. It's a great tune. That is a great tune. <laughs> we, had, we had a good laugh and joke with it. But that, those are the reasons why, because it's like proper crest of a wave. I cannot believe that you can hit such a high in football. Yeah. It was one of those ones. Yeah. Okay. We're going to skip over um, the last few clubs of your career. Sorry, Coley, but we want to get on to life after football as well because we don't want to keep you too much longer. Yeah, no problems. How many years after you retired from football did the illness hit you? Uh, so I, I felt ill five, five years ago. So what what we now? I've been retired... I mean, 12 years now. So seven years after. Yeah. And uh, and in that time, you were you were working for the club. What else were you doing? A little bit of coaching? A little bit. A little bit of media. But I'll be honest, as, as the saying goes, life was good. Yeah. Life was good. Yeah, I had a few little, well, not a few little problems. I had a problem with my daughter, mm. you know, but we, I was kind of like managing that. Is that... The problem my daughter really got in got into my head. So I was I was managing that. I couldn't really I didn't feel comfortable to talk about the problems with my daughter. So managing that in my head was was difficult, but in general life was good. And then when when I felt ill, it's like, what's going on here? Yeah, I I, I couldn't kind of like un- understand what, what I was going through regarding regarding my illness. Uh could it totally come out out of the blue. And it really it really ravished the way I was thinking. You know, it was difficult to comprehend. I remember walking in to the hospital and then, I don't know, 10, 11 days later coming out. A totally different man. Totally different man. For, for, the, for those people who are listening now, what actually was the problem? My, my, my kidney basically packed up on me. Is this coming back from a trip abroad? Yeah, so I, I was in... Uh, uh, Vietnam for the club did a gig for the club in Vietnam come back you know got home felt a little bit tired so I thought it's only jet lag man it's man up couple of paracetamols go to bed crack on tomorrow's a new day did that day after I started put on weight and I'm a guy I don't, I don't put on weight but the weight was rapido weight and I was saying nah it's nothing nothing I remember my ex saying to me oh putting on weight and I said nah nah it's nonsense absolute nonsense so then but the weight became more and more and more so I remember I called um, Doc Stone and he come round looked at me said okay I'm going to get you into the um, the Alex run some tests cheers Doc went to the Alex I think it was a Saturday Doc said to me I'll call you Monday and if any problems I'll let you know he called me first thing Monday he's kind of like had a little something going on in his voice. I said, oh, I thought, what's he said, oh, you need to get to the hospital quickly. They're waiting for you. I'm saying, 
okay. Went to the hospital. And I, you know, you walk in the hospital, like the guy was actually waiting for me. So I'm saying to myself, hold on, hold on, hold on, what's going on here? So he said, oh, Mr. Cos. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, um, I heard you got a slight problem. I said, mm, yeah. He goes, um, what is it? So I explained to him, he said, he had any symptoms. I said, no, no, no. But in the back of my head, I'm saying, look, I think I had lunch or something. You know what I'm like when it's food, man. And he sent me, like, I, I need to run some tests. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I ain't got time for this. I do not have no time for this. He said to me, oh, Mr. Carr, I said, no, 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 no. I said, look, doc, I'm in a rush. How, how did you get in? So I said, I drove. He said, oh, okay, okay. So he's making all this small talk and that. So then he sat me down and explained to me that he wanted to do um, a biopsy of my kidney and all that. Lied, lied me down, injected me, did a biopsy. Then again, he mentioned symptoms. I said, no, I've got no symptoms. Anyway, doc, I need to go, what things to do. But half an hour later, all the symptoms that he mentioned I had, and then they rushed me upstairs, obviously settled me down and that. And then that was the only real time that I knew that my kidney had basically blown out on me. And you know, in, in all this, and I'll say it to people all the time, in all this, I, I didn't even have any time to think about myself, didn't think about myself, anything. In all this, all I kept thinking was right. What about my kids? Mm-hmm. What about my kids? I remember he, the doc, even my consultant said to me, don't worry about your kids. I'm saying, no, 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 no. No, my kids, my kids, my kids. You know? And I'm, I'm speaking to everyone. And then like, so when they settle me down in hospital and all those kind of things and explain to me what it is. You know, I, I might have been in the hospital possibly, I don't know, three, three, four days by then when they actually told me what it is. When I went down with all the symptoms, I blew up. I went up to about 18 stones, something like that. But I couldn't, all I did was sleep, couldn't move. Basically, I was out, constantly out. How long did this go on for then? Uh, this was about four days. So I was on dialysis, straight, virtually straight away. I was that bad. I got on dialysis to try and obviously clean my, my blood up and, and all get that going again. So I, I was in a real bad, bad way and... If I didn't go that day, if I turned around and said, I'm not going, I most probably that would have been it. Because they said, because my fitness levels were so high, by the time I walked into hospital on, I think, the Monday, yeah, by the time I went to hospital on Monday, and by the time I basically collapsed, that was it. That, that was my total end. Before that, the three days I was at home, the weekend I was at home, because I was so fit, it was saying, that's what kept me going. That kept me going. But collapsing in the hospital, my body finally said, that's it. Done. Yeah, you're done. So I collapsed in the right place, basically. And this all came from, was it an airborne infection that you'd got? Yeah. Is that how it started? Yeah, they said it's an airborne virus. You know, I just got to take it on the chin and listen to them and say, look, it could have happened to anyone. Uh, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then your nephew, wasn't it? Alexander, was it? Yeah, Ale- Alexander, yeah. The, um he donated his kidney. Yeah, he, he, he come to see me one day, obviously, when, when I was still living in uh, Cheshire. And he, he said to me, I can't do this anymore. I, I just woke up. I was like sleeping like 13, 14 hours a day. I just woke up, groggy as hell from my medication. And, all that. and he said to me, Unks, said, yeah, he said, I can't do this anymore. So I said, what are, we, what are you on about? He said to me, that's it. I can't, I can't see you like this anymore. I mean, because I was, I was walking like Kaiser Souza. I was dragging my feet, couldn't, couldn't walk. I could, I could just about get to the toilet, 
get back, and I was so out of breath, it was unbelievable. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. He said, um, come on, don't, don't donate my kidney. And I remember saying, no, 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 you're far too young for this. This is a long-term project. He said to me, no, I said, I'm done. I said, I can't, I can't see you like this anymore. So I come, I look at you, you sleep in, you can't do this, you can't do that. I said, I can't do it. And I was getting really emotional and so was he. And I said, no, you're too young. But he was adamant, adamant that he wanted to give me his kidney and he donated his kidney for me. Wow. So how long did you live um, with the illness before before that moment when he donated the kidney? Uh, so I'm transplanted in three years now, so two years. Two years. And was that dialysis every couple of days? or how did... Yeah, when I was in, it was um, every other day. But I, I refused to um, like conceive defeat. I always said to myself, come on, man up, man. I remember saying it to myself all the time. I was looking in the mirror, I look at the size of me. I always used to say, what are you like, by the way? Just man up, get on with it. You'll be okay, you'll be okay, man up. And it didn't matter what I tried to do, it made no difference. I kept saying to myself, what? Come on, man, what is wrong with you? And every time I used to say that, it's like, there was no response. My body couldn't respond. So I, I knew in the end about, I don't know, four or five months in, I kind of like confessed to myself, like, look, you're ill. You're really ill. And don't matter what you do, what you try and tell yourself, you got to deal with it. And in the end, I kind of like conceded defeat, which I, I don't want to do, but I conceded defeat that was going to be tough for me. What was that form of call like, call living in your kid up again then? Saying... Listen, I thought about it now, or I'm going to accept your offer. Because that's like, Coley, that is absolutely, I mean, we all make decisions in life, but that's like mm-hmm. a huge decision for both of Amazing, you. Yeah. No, Amazing, no, no, well, not for all your family. I, I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't talk to him. I thought, obviously, my oldest sister, that's his mum, and I spoke to her, and I said, you need to speak to him. He, she spoke to him, he said, Andrew, nope, he's made his mind up. That is it. You know what he's like. Yeah, he's a bit like me. Once he's made his mind up, that is it. And I sat down at length and I spoke with him. Hunks, no. I'm doing it. And I was fortunate. I had possibly, I don't know, five, six people who were there saying, look, we'll do it for you. We'll do it for you. But he was so adamant that he's like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm not watching you like this anymore. And if I'm a match, you will have my kidney. He was like that. He's one of those ones, if you said no to me, he won't have a tear up with you. He <laughs> was kind of like that, you know? He was so adamant that he wanted to do it. I mean, you'd have been, you'd have been close anyway. Yeah. But now, the fact that... Crazy. His kidney is now keeping you alive sort of thing is like, what a bomb that is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, like, like I say to him, you know? And is he okay as well? He's, he's, he's good. You know, you know what upset me? I'm, I'm honest enough to speak about it now. You know what upset me more than anything? When I had the operation done, I remember getting up, obviously very drugged up and that, but when I was getting up and that, I could like shuffle about and walk in. And I was out after a week. Mm-hmm. He was in for like 10, 12 days because he got gas caught in where they're taking his, his kidney out and he was in pain. He couldn't go to the toilet and that. And I remember I, I broke down in tears. I, I couldn't have you. I, I said to myself, see you go through the pain. Yeah. And I said, no, I can't comprehend this. And I even turned around and said, I will go back ill tomorrow yeah, to see him good. But I, I, I couldn't, I said, what's all that? 
how do you go in the hospital to make me better and you end up ill? I couldn't get it through my head. And like I said, you know, I was, I was in bits. I was in absolute bits when I left him in the hospital. I, I said, I, I just broke down in tears. Not surprised. So he stayed in for a few more days and then did he make a full recovery after that? Yeah. Yeah, his, his, his problem is now he gets tired. Because he, his body's got to adjust to working off one kidney, like me, I have to adjust to obviously working off one kidney. But working off one kidney with um a hell of a lot of medication, which makes you tired as well, makes you subdued and all those kind of things. But some of that I, I know I've got to live with. I mean, for me personally, I'm glad that I, I have mood swings, but my mood swings are just like I'm tired or I, I don't want to see anyone, I don't talk to anyone. It could react with other people a different way. Other people get violent and all that, but. I'm not like that. You know, I just, I don't want to be around anyone. It's not a case that I, I feel sorry for myself. It's just, I feel like I don't want to be in this position of being a burden on anyone. And I, I, I don't like burdening anyone. I remember when I was in the hospital and I, I told my, my ex, I said, do not tell my parents. Do not tell my parents. And she ended up telling my parents. And I remember my parents coming. You know, when you look at your parents, yeah, and they're looking at you and they're saying to themselves, is this it? I remember my dad getting up and walking out because he couldn't see me like that. It's like, I don't want to see my parents like that. You know? It's for me, if they got to that stage to try and nurse them for me, it's better because they've done it for me when I was younger. Not for them to see me in this position now, like saying to themselves, is he actually going to come out? I was devil. And I was, really, I was so hurt that my parents had to see me in that position. Hmm. That's so hard to listen to because, as you say, your parents probably expect it to be the other way around, that you're in... Yeah, yeah, going harder. That's so yeah. difficult. I'm sure it goes without saying that this whole experience has given you a completely different perspective on life and on mental health. Is that something that you kind of thought about before all of this, you know, how people's mental health can be affected and how did your perspective on all of that change during and after the experience? Well, I know it's an ongoing experience, but... You, you, you know what I realise, H... Yeah, I, I'm, I used to watch those TV programs and people used to say, oh, and I used to take these tablets and they made me feel suicidal. And I used to watch them, I said, oh man, you're talking nonsense. No tablet can make you feel like that. You're talking rubbish. They gave me some tablets that they said it was possibly going to bring my kidney back. Oh my God. That's when I realised about mental health. Oh my God. These tablets had me thinking the most insane things ever. Yeah. Really? I'm saying to myself, these tablets are supposed to help. Because what tablets do to you is like, oh, dear me. I mean, you're up and down. I'll be watching the TV. Tears were rolling down my eyes. I remember my kids just say, Dad, what's wrong? I said, what do you mean what's wrong? You're crying. You have nothing. You can't control your emotions, nothing. So that's when I realized, man, I know this is going to be a long process for you, by the way, because you tell no one nothing. Yeah. Now you're at a stage whereby you're going to have to talk about certain things. And I'm still saying to myself, no, I'm not talking about nothing. Man up. These typical men, man up, get on with it. I mean, whatever you go through, you face it, you move on to the next day. I didn't want to talk about my illness to no one. It's, it's difficult to talk about illness to people who look at you and say, oh, you look all right, though. But internally, you're absolutely tearing up. You know, it's, it, it's tough, so... When it comes to me talking about mental health and talking about certain things, for me, in the end, it wasn't a problem. 
it wasn't a problem. But we're all going to go through a stage in life when things become a little bit tougher than we expect. It's how you try and deal with it. A lot of the time, it's going to be things that you can't deal with by yourself. You need to talk it out. And, that, and I got myself in that position whereby I had to start talking to people. At first, I was worried that people would say, oh, come on, get on with it, or man up, or whatever. Everyone turned around and said, no, totally opposite. Totally opposite. And that's, that's good people. I mean, you can have people who turn the other cheek and can't understand it and whatever. And that's the, that's the kind of people that ultimately end up not being in your life and end up being, not being in your life for a reason. Mm-hmm. Did you have times when you did worry, like, this is going to be it for me? Did, did you yeah. think that? Yeah. Even after, after you've had the kidney or now? Because I think, obviously, you don't have to go for dialysis now, is that correct? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just on medication now. Yeah, you're just on the life. medication now. Yeah. But what, what was it like to feel like that, feel those emotions at that time? First, first and foremost, when it told me I was going to be on medication for the rest of my life, yeah, I kind of like melted in the chair, yeah? Because when I'm playing football, like, I don't know, the doctors say, right, anti-inflammatories for a week. Well, I take them for about three days, I'm done. Four days tops, yeah? So I can't bother to take them anymore. Someone's actually telling me, for me to get till tomorrow, to, for me to get to the end of the year, I've got to take medication morning and night. I'm like saying I can't do it. And I remember saying, I can't do it. He said to me, well, you're going to have to. I said, no, 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 I can't take tablets every single day. I forget and things like that. He said, no, no, no. Set alarm on your on your clock or whatever, but you're going to have to take them. How many tablets do you take a day, Carla? Now, I am. I think now I'm taking about 16 now. When I first started, I was on about 40. 40? Yeah, so it's gradually gone down. Wow. Spread across the day? Or you yeah. just sat there for half an hour just... Nine and nine. Wow. So nine in the morning, nine in the evening. I was taking bang, that's it, crack on. And take the other one, nine, leave and bang, crack on. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And what, what would happen if, say, you forgot to take those? How does that affect your body? Sorry for, I'm just trying to understand it a little bit more. So if, if you continue to um, not take your medication, as what I have is, is, is foreign, it doesn't belong to me. So your body is so cute that it will actually start attacking the foreign kidney, because it doesn't belong to me. The body knows it doesn't belong to me. So it will fight it, and ultimately that will cause kidney failure again. So the body will reject it, and I end up in a position whereby I'll have to go through the process again. And I say everyone, I'm not sure if I can go through the process again. It's hard. It's tedious. Mentally, it's hard. Mental scars much worse than the physical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wake up every morning, I try and say to myself, oh, man, it's working. But in the back of my mind, I, I'm, I'm always worried that I wake up one morning, it doesn't work. So I know I'm back to square one. And then how do you get back to square one when you know this process? Yeah, well, I've done it by myself anyway, this process. But I know if I go back to square one, I have to start this process by myself. You've got to do everything for yourself. Yeah, I know I've got family, I've got obviously my sister, with my sisters, mom, dad, but I don't want to burden them because it's actually my problem and I have to deal with it. So that's 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 a tough thing. Mm-hmm. Getting back to football, Coley. You've done a whoops. Oh. <laughs> coaching mm-hmm. with uh Sol and uh you've done a bit with Incy as well. 
Is that something you, you want to get back into? Or? Uh, I've, I've been lucky. Uh, someone's given me the opportunity. I, I, I always say that if someone gives me the opportunity, yeah, of course I help them out. Because they actually believe in, believe in me that I'm good enough to do it. So that's always a start. So, yeah, if it comes about, I wouldn't turn it down. But it's not some activity to say, about, yeah, I'm going to go out and do my coaching basics because I want to be a manager. I mean, management is very, very stressful. And I, I, I know myself as what I was like when I was a player. I'm not quite sure I'd handle someone like me if I come up against someone <laughs> like me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. Are you not more placid now after everything that you've been through? Oh, 100%. 100% I am. So you now. could talk to that person, you see? Yeah, you know, the, the crazy thing is, yeah, like someone said to me, like, no, Jody Morris. Yeah. Uh, Jody said to me a couple of years ago when I was with him, he said, Coley, oh my God, he was so angry when he was young. Why? <laughs> he said, you was, was brilliant with me. Yeah, but he was always so angry. And I was laughing. And I said to myself, was I really that bad? And then my sister said it to me. She said, oh my God, he was so bad. And I'm saying, was I really? I can't have been that bad. But you were bad. I was just well, going to say. You know? But now, man, I've, I've been through so many things in the past wow. five, five and a half, coming up to six years. Yeah. I look at things now and say to myself, man, I've just got to do what I've got to do to what I believe like, keeps me happy but man what I've done in the past is, is the past of reason I've got to try and live from now and move forward and try and enjoy as much as possible mm-hmm. Are you a religious person Coley? I'm a religious hey, there's, there's a big guy up there there's definitely a big guy up there because why is a big guy up there because I've been given another opportunity mm-hmm. and the opportunity would I turn up that Monday when I didn't want to go Yeah, you know and I got through what I've got through so I, I, I know I think my, my journey, I'm, I'm meant to go through this journey. I genuinely do believe what I've gone through. I am meant to go through it. And when I do finally come out of it, you know, I will see, which I've started to see, some things that I never saw before. Yeah. When I come out of it, I'll understand why I've got to go through it. Yeah, definitely. That's really well put. Somebody's looking after you definitely up there. Um, it's been absolutely incredible to hear your whole story. Honestly, I'm just fascinated by the story from start to finish. Have you enjoyed talking to us? Yeah, it's been brilliant. You know I love talking to you guys, man. What about the book? My book. Can you tell us one exclusive? Because this is going to go out before your book. Give us one exclusive from the book. Go. He's told, he's told us all our exclusives. We don't know. I can't give you an exclusive. No, I don't think it's... Go on. What's it called, Carly? Fast forward. Good name. Yeah, it's called Fast Forward. Have you enjoyed doing that? My, my book has been so therapeutic. It's been unbelievable. You know, it's, like I said, it's reflection time. Like I said, if you don't reflect, which I haven't done, when you get that time to do it, you say, did you? Oh, man, I can't remember this, I can't remember that. That's what my book's been like. It's been like remembering all those kind of things. So, yeah, it's been good. Amazing career, amazing person, and amazing journey that you've been through. Just before you do leave us, we always ask our guests for a recommendation, an ex-teammate maybe, that would like to you would like to see on the podcast. One of my ex-teammates? Yes, who would be good? Who, who's been on though? We've actually had quite a lot of 99 yeah. team, haven't we? We haven't had Roy Keane. Everybody's too scared to ask him. No, I don't, no. Yeah, get Skip on there, yeah. Yeah, get, get him on. Yeah, you can text him for us. That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> oh, come on. He's, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. 
I've, I've got a brilliant relationship with him as well. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got to come, I've got to come and see him soon. Next time I'm up north, because he keeps hammering me at the moment. He, he, he said to me, "Come on, Cole, let's go up a cup of tea." This is about a year ago. I've not gone out a cup of tea, so I know <laughs> when I see him, he's saying, oh, "What? Well, it's taking a year to come and have a cup of tea with me." <laughs> I mean, so I know, I know he'd be on me, but that, that that'd be a real good one. That would be a real good one. Yeah. You know what? Another real good one would be. Obviously, he, he, he didn't. He wasn't in the nineteen nineteen, but I, I think he's. As, as Ben being on, Ben Thornley. Yeah, Ben was brilliant. Ben was class. I mean, I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's something about that guy, yeah? I don't know what it is, but I, 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 just, I just love him. Oh, he's great. I mean, I, I think, considering that he would have been up with those boys if it wasn't for the injury, hmm. and I think the way he deals with things now, man, people like that, that I mean, I, I, I take things from him. I look at him, he would have had an unbelievable career if he wasn't for the injury and whatever, and, I look at Ben the way he conducts himself, always like very vibrant and whatever. As if he's brilliant, he's a real, real nice kid. Great lad. Yeah, he's great. Carly, it's been a pleasure, mate. That was brilliant. Honestly, thank yes, you for thank being you. so generous with your time. We could have spoke for another three hours. I really, really enjoyed that. Thank you, and no good problem. luck with the book. Thank you very much. Yeah, stay safe, Paul. Cheers, same to you guys. Have a nice day. You too. See good you enough. later. Bye. Bye, Paul. Bye, mate. Well, guys, that was absolutely incredible. Another brilliant podcast. I'm yeah. so gutted, Sam, that you couldn't be there for that one because he was so open and honest mm-hmm. and just a great guy. And also, I don't think anybody has called me H since the last time I seen Andy Cole. <laughs> Quite like it. <laughs> nice. Also, really incredible when he was talking about his illness because it'd be very easy to not want to talk about that and keep that to himself because it's such a serious thing and. I, I don't know, he just, he really opened up and I, I think he seemed really humble. I think he has been quite open about that mm. over the last couple of years, but, you know, actually speaking to him and hearing it from him. And I know that Maisie and I have been on the verge of tears or cried mm-hmm. a few times, but again, I was like, I can't, I can't keep crying in these podcasts. But we both agreed after that when he spoke about his parents coming to the hospital to see him, it was very difficult to listen to, Maisie, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And and do you know what? I mean, the, the choices he had in the very, very... Oh, he doesn't really have a choice, does he? You know, it's, it's either live with it or possibly yeah, die 100%. with it. Yeah. And, and, for his, and for his nephew to, to offer his kidney is like, oh, my God, that is unbelievable. I think whenever it hit me when he said about how his nephew still gets tired and... You know, because yeah. he's only got one kidney now. I thought that is incredible. Yeah, but that's 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 love. That's that's unconditional love. Family yeah, love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's 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 indebted to him for the rest of his life. Surely, but yeah. wow, powerful. Yeah, he did an incredible job, guys. I think everybody listening would agree. Talking about powerful as well. Powerful on the pitch, which we obviously yeah. did touch on. Yes, incredible goal scorer, Maisie. What was whenever he came to the club or when you were playing alongside him, did you just think, Oh, it's okay, cool, he's on, we'll get a few goals? Yeah, because that's what Sir Alex did. He, he bought players and Collie was uh, would would he been a finished article? He was just getting to be in a, the finished article of just He was just, kinda of getting there at Newcastle, mm, wasn't he? Yeah. And it was a great bit of business. I know Keith went the other way, but you know, seven million quid and the amount of goals he scored for United was was incredible and I think he's still is he the third highest goal scorer 
Third, yeah. I mean, the Premier League's been going, what, mm-hmm. 28 years now, something like that, 27, 28 years, and he's still the third highest goal scorer, which is an incredible achievement. It really is. Especially when, you, I mean, we mentioned it already, but when you consider that he didn't take penalties. I know. I know. I know. I think one thing about that podcast, usually it's all very chronological when we do our podcasts, but I felt with Coley, his United career, it's so hard to pick out specific moments. You know, he is known just for scoring the goals and it kind of became him being about him as a United player rather than specific moments. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I enjoy I enjoyed that aspect of it too. Because, you know, how many times have we spoken about certain games, certain goals? We actually didn't ask him his favourite goal, I don't think, though, which... No, I don't think we did. You probably would have asked that, Sam. We missed that one. <laughs> that's okay. Right. Um, that's another one done. The coach did an incredible job. Cheers, Sam. You're very welcome. Really cut me off there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. As he generally Should we some emails? <laughs> Cheers, Simon. <laughs> H H. Doesn't finish that conversation, but anyway. I'm so sorry. I thought I thought you'd rounded it off. We haven't finished for Maisie's response. He hasn't replied to me yet. Oh, it's all right. Don't H. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Simon sorted it. As long as he's okay. I thought I thought you were just saying. Oh, he was great. Yeah, well on him. You really weren't listening to me. That was what the thing was. Oh. Anyway, it's fine. You can round it off there. Go. Well. This is all very awkward now. <laughs> That's why we don't have you on, Sam. With the good guests. Yeah, don't blame you. <laughs> what should we do? I think you should finish where you were. I don't know. I was searching. It's um, not natural, I was searching man. for the emails, and then I, I sort of heard you, and I thought, "Oh, that's the end. I'll do the emails then." <laughs> no, it's fine. I think it can end there. Can it, Tasker? Guys, let's end it there, and let's have some emails. Yes. Okay. Would you like to go first, Helen? No, Sam. Go. <laughs> Uh, I've got one from um, Sharon Hetzfaba. She says, hello, Helen, Sam and Maisie. My name is Sharon. I'm from Nigeria. Just wanted to say thank you for keeping these podcasts going during this period. I've enjoyed the ones I've listened to so far. They keep me company while I'm working. It would be great to have Rio Ferdinand do an episode. I feel like he would have so many great stories to tell. Thanks. Kind regards from Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, We'd love to get Rio on and we will give it a go. Thank you. Uh, Sharthak Patel said thank you Helen, Sam and Maisie for the amazing work you've been bringing some fantastic guests and legends to the United Podcast every week. Hearing their backstories and their journey through their United career has been incredible. It's been one of the best things that happens weekly especially during the lockdown. I've been listening into the podcast during my evening workouts at home here in America and it's been truly refreshing to hear such amazing stories. My favourite episode is the Patrice Ever episode and obviously my United Hero Skulls. Hope to hear from more United Legends and Heroes soon, particularly would love to hear a Waza podcast. Looking forward to more regards, Sarthak. Thank you very much indeed. Waza would be great, wouldn't he? Yeah, we need to get that organised. Okay. Uh, I've got another one here from Alan Yim. He says, Hi guys, love the pod. I've been a United supporter since my uncle gifted me the iconic 9899 home kit. Just wanted to share what I feel are the unsung heroes of the pod. Helen's emotions, whether laughing or crying, is so genuine. Don't ever change, Helen. That's an instruction. Um, Maisie's beer machine. Don't ever change. Yeah. That'll never change. And uh, my friendship with skulls. Never started. (laughs) Never had one. I'd love to hear more pods from non-players and managers. My favourite so far has been the one with Albert Morgan. I think it would be great to get uh, to have Helen as a guest and hear what it's like being the better half of a United player. Maybe have her together on with Johnny. Keep up the good work from Alan. Uh, he's in Colorado. How would you feel about having your own episode, Helen? No, I'm so boring. I've already been asked this. I'm such a boring person. Exactly. Not a chance that's happening. I would only talk about a lack of sleep and having kids. 
What else do I actually talk about? Food. You, all those fun times you have. <laughs> yeah. I'm always cold. Yeah. That's the only thing. <laughs> anyway, Nathan Hurst said, hi, uh, been listening to the podcasts throughout lockdown on my lunch breaks from working at home. Love the Amy Turner episode. Interesting to hear from a member of the women's team. Would love to hear from Diego Forlan, particularly about the two goals at Anfield and the crazy shirt issue against Southampton, which was my first game at Old Trafford when I was six from Nathan. Nathan, get tuning in. Diego Forlan is out already. Awesome. Um, guys, thank you so much for your emails. Uh, we'll continue to get through them. We do read them all and we appreciate them. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the United Podcast. We're back again next week. If you want to get involved, then just send us an email. The address is in the show notes. It's unitedpodcast at mainunited.co.uk. And uh, if you've liked the podcast, then please subscribe or review it. And also, if you uh, take a screenshot of your reviews, send them to David May. You will get a personalised response. He'll send you a little video. Uh, it broke up then, Sam. Sorry. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See ya.